Okay, 12.15 p.m. here on Saturday. How is everybody doing this week? It is BK here coming at you guys one more week from San Diego, California. Please follow me on Twitter at BravoKiloActual, and you guys can check out my Instagram at BKActual. And for those of you who are following my Instagram, you probably saw I made a quick trip to Tucson to see my old boss get retired. And as Chief Master Sergeant Chris of the United States Air Force Pararescue Community. It was a really cool ceremony and really cool to see a lot of familiar faces again. And, and you know, the, the farther you are removed from the military service is when you start seeing those less familiar faces and a lot more of them. But uh, it's all good. It's a brotherhood, and I was really happy to be there. So huge shout-out to him. Guy's a warrior. Um, everybody was there. Uh, a little bit about T-Dog. If you guys have probably seen that Jessica Lynch rescue video floating around on YouTube... You can actually see Chris. He's the PJ who's next to her in the bed treating her as the SEAL team is getting ready to extract Jessica Lynch. Remember that from the early days of the Iraq War. And uh, Chris is a longtime member of JSOC, and then he went on into the reserves, had a great career there. And uh, it was really cool seeing him and a lot of familiar faces. So huge shout-out there. Uh, One quick programming note. Next week's podcast will be on a Friday evening sometime because... I will be conducting the PT test for the SOCOM athlete crew in a little hell day out there on the beach. So hope you guys are ready to rock and bring your A game and bring your good form because I'm going to be watching every move you make on that calisthenic uh, requirement. So uh, I know you guys well. I've always been impressed with the young people who come out for that. Uh, So that's about it. And another, by the way, record-breaking week for the podcast, and I can't thank you guys enough. So... What don't we, why don't we get into it, and what do I have for you this week? Tons of stuff like usual. I thought I'd start with the killings of the Mormon family members in Mexico. As you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast, we cover Mexico a lot. And this family it has a fascinating backstory. It does have deep roots in Mexico. And if you've been like living under a rock or something and you haven't heard at least nine members of a Mormon family that has in the past spoken up against Mexican drug cartels were killed on Monday. It's a little bit removed, but I thought we'd get into it. When their vehicles were ambushed by gunmen in a violent region of northern Mexico. So the victims include six children and their mothers. One of the vehicles did catch fire, burning the bodies of one mother and her four children beyond recognition. Now, eight children did survive the attack, although six of them were injured, one of them critically. Uh, Family members said that one of the surviving children was shot in the back, and one of the women was shot in the chest at point-blank range. Now, where is this? Okay, well, if you're looking at a map of it right now, you know where the the Arizona-New Mexico border, picture that, where the states meet, and then go directly south of that, and that's into the Mexican state of Sonora. And so it's approximately about 50 miles from the U.S. border, so not that far. Now, some of these children actually hid by the roadside to escape. Uh, Family members said some of the surviving children included a 7-month-old infant and a child about 12 years old who hiked for miles to seek help. So who are these victims? Well, the nine victims were members of the LeBaron family. Now, this is a group of dual Mexican and American citizens who have lived in a fundamentalist Mormon community in that border region 
since the 1940s. And you know what? I had been vaguely aware that this Mormon community existed. One, because I remember it coming up when Mitt Romney was running for president, because he had some, remember he had some like ties to that. And then there was some question about whether he was actually born in Mexico. I don't know, something stupid like that. And then second, if you've ever read that book Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer, very well-known writer, he wrote about those Mormon fundamentalists who were living in the United States, and they ended up killing a child because they believed God commanded them to kill the child. And it was a very famous case in the Utah, Northern Arizona earlier. And in the, in the book, they do describe some of these breakaway Mormon sects that have gone to live in both Canada and Mexico. So I was initially vaguely aware that this thing was out there. So this family, the LeBarons, a lot of them do live in North Dakota, but they do frequently travel to this border area. Now, the family is not affiliated with the official Mormon church, otherwise known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, because you know, they wanted to do their polygamy, and that's why these groups went to Canada, went to Mexico earlier when the church rejected polygamy. Now, the LeBarons did practice polygamy when they first arrived in Mexico, but it's kind of, the family claims that's kind of largely faded from the community, and as stated, the modern Mormon church does prohibit the practice. So, what happened here? How did the attack start? Well, the family was traveling in three separate vehicles from La Mora, Okay, that's the name of the town in the state of Sonora. To Colonia LeBaron in the state of Chihuahua when they were set upon by these gunmen. And one of the victims, Ronita LeBaron, was headed to Phoenix to pick up her husband. And her car broke down and the gunman opened fire and then torched the car. And that was the one who was killed along with the four children when the car was burned to death. Now, eight miles away was where the two other cars were also attacked. And so far, uh, they've had a few vague suspects named, um, but we're not sure. The family, for their part, suspects that the gunmen were members of an organized crime group. The Sinaloa cartel, of course, that's El Chapo's old outfit, is active in the area, as well as other groups trying to take control. So the big question is, was this a targeted attack? Well, they tried at first to say this was like mistaken identity, which sounds ludicrous to me. Are you telling me that, you know, a bunch of, let's face it, it's a very white, blonde, pale family. I don't think the cartels are going to mistake this, you know, females and carloads of kids for rival drug factions. That sounds absurd, but I don't know. However, they might have some reason because this massacre comes a decade after two members of the LeBaron family who confronted local drug cartels were kidnapped and murdered. Now, me, at that point, I would have probably moved, but they decided to stake their claim. They wanted to stay in Mexico, so they didn't. Things had been peaceful in recent years, and there seemed to be some sort of truce. And one member of the LeBaron family said the family had not received any threats other than general warnings not to travel to Chihuahua, and that is where they went typically to buy groceries and fuel. Now, the big reaction from the U.S. and Mexico uh, came quickly. Mexico did deploy that newly formed National Guard and its military to the region, and President Trump 
offered to jump in there and help Mexico eradicate the drug cartels. He said on Twitter, quote, This is the time for Mexico, with the help of the United States, to wage war on the drug cartels and wipe them off the face of the earth. We merely await a call from your great new president. And then he went on to add, The cartels have become so large and powerful that you sometimes need an army to defeat an army. However, Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, commonly known as AMLO, said that it was up to Mexico to deal with the matter. He wrote, quote, We appreciate and thank very much President Trump and any foreign government that wants to help, but in these cases we have to act with independence according to our constitution and our tradition of independence and sovereignty, end quote. So, this follows, of course large Mexican criminal groups that are launching these big, violent attacks. Remember, 14 police officers were killed in an ambush last month in the state of Michoacan, and then heavily covered here days after that, cartel gunmen laid siege to that city of Culiacan in the Sinaloa state, and that's when they forced the government to release one of El Chapo's sons. Uh, So... Yeah, this is a pretty wild in here. And, you know, I will have to add one thing. I did, and I enjoy the media pylons like everybody, but the media was re- really getting cr- crushed hard on social media because they were writing about this LeBaron family and saying, well, what about this family? What's the deal here? And they were, everybody's like, well, how dare you? Because the implication is like, well, they must have done something. And I like crushing on the media like everybody else, but why wouldn't you ask that? And it's, let's face it, it's not a normal kind of family it comes out of a polygamist separatist background so it is interesting it's not good or immoral or bad or anything you just have to report it and i for one did want to see the reports but i I did see them getting beat up on twitter but that's okay uh anything else about here well the uh oh here's something about the weapons mexican government officials this week did say that the ammunition we used in the attack was of the 223 caliber cartridge that is associated with AR-15 and M-16 style rifles. Uh, oh, there's an, here's an interesting fact. The New York Times writes, some 200,000 American guns cross the border into Mexico illegally each year. Fascinating. And Mexico has been lobbying the United States for more than a decade to try to stop that flow. And a lot of that ammunition, by the way, is also coming uh, from the United States. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, if it's just me, if it's just me and my family has been warned by international drug cartels to leave, unless I too have access to all kinds of weaponry, I would probably leave, but that's just me. And these groups look at them. They're savages. These cartels, they, how could you, you they shoot children in the back. I mean, freaking wake up. And then, It was interesting. Uh, They have a few different articles about here. One, Breitbart, Texas, wrote an article called Mexican Cartels Are Winning the Propaganda War. And uh, this is something we're all familiar with, the old ISIS propaganda, right, and the the Islamic terrorist propaganda. Everybody's seen that for for the last couple of years. But a a lot less attention, in my opinion, has been given to the cartel propaganda. Uh, and I'm just scrolling through this article. First of all, they use music. They use memes. You know, they have those narco corridos music. It's like a Mexican folk music that promotes bravery, riches, and sex surrounding the traffickers. And some of these are 
videos are uploaded to YouTube, it's seen as very glamorous. They have pictures. I'm looking at one right now at this Breitbart article. And it shows all these masked dude in balaclavas, the cartel members. They're in uniforms. They got their guns in the high ready position. And one of them's uh, squatting down behind a belt fed 50 cal. So they got weapons. They've got uniforms. And this is 50 miles from our border, you guys. I will say again, I still cannot friggin' believe the attention paid to the Syrian border and the lack of attention paid to the United States-Mexican border, which is far more relevant to everyday life in the United States. So that's what we got so far, and I will keep an eye on that. Uh, speaking of Mexico, and just changing the topic a little bit, but... You guys know I like the archaeology, so how about this? Archaeologists have discovered a large trove of mammoth skeletons north of Mexico City, and they said they think this is evidence of the first human-made traps used to capture these woolly mammoths who were in the Pleistocene era. And they say this finding represents a significant turning point in researchers' understanding of the relationship of hunter-gatherer bands with the mammoths. Now, they, they found about 14 of them in the same you know, area. It's like two large pits that were, in all likelihood, dug on purpose about 15,000 years ago. Now, previously, this is a big deal because there was little evidence that hunters intentionally attacked mammoths. Uh, it was thought, wrote one archaeologist, that the, you know, uh, the tribes or whatever would frighten them into getting stuck in swamps and then waited for them to die. However, this, they say, is now evidence of direct attacks on mammoths, and it was the intention of the people to hunt and make use of them. So, uh, really fascinating stuff. I'm, uh, I'm all about the, uh, I'm all about the archaeology. So check out that, and there's really cool. Uh, pictures at the New York Times link. Let's turn to the military really quick. And a uh, sad story here. A U.S. Force, U.S. Air Force airman serving with a special operations unit is missing after he accidentally fell out of a C-130 plane into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, this is a airman from the 24th Special Operations Wing. Of course, that's part of the Joint Special Operations Commander, JSOC. And according to reports, he was seen uh, treading water. So uh, this, there's not a lot of update here, guys. I wish I had more. Here's what they say happened. It was a planned static line jump, right? And the airman, they say, did exit the aircraft about four miles south of Hurlburt Airfield in Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so, but they're calling it, they still say he fell from the aircraft. Well, obviously, if you're performing a static line jump, you are going to fall from the aircraft. So the verbiage doesn't make it clear to me if he purposely jumped, the chute opened, or, or what. It's, it's uh, very convoluted. Uh, is there anything else in this Popular Mechanics article? No, there really isn't. So they, the Popular Mechanics article does say, though, they call it an accidental fall. Like he maybe he was hooked up on the static line and he tripped and fell. It's possible, but then the chute would open. So I, I really don't understand it. And again, they say he was last seen 
in the ocean treading water like he was okay. So you mean to tell me they saw him and then they just lost him? So I, I really don't understand what's going on, but obviously that's a, a nightmare. They have not released his name. At this point, they are switching it to a recovery operation because it has been a few days. So sad story out of Hurlbert. Okay, what else? Let's go to Baghdad, Iraq. And at least two more people were killed yesterday, Friday, as anti-government protests, heavily covered here, entered their fifth week and rising. Now, these deaths, which occurred in the southern city of Basra, raised the number of dead to nearly 300 people since demonstrations began last month. And those demonstrations, recall, were calling for an end to corruption and a change in leadership. Now, as protests gripped that southern city of Basra, there was a rocket attack in the north. And 17 rockets did strike inside and near the Gayara military base, which is just south of Mosul. Most of the troops at that base are Iraqi, but there are American personnel stationed there. Thankfully, nobody was killed or wounded. An American counterstrike did kill three people. It's not clear who launched this rocket attack, although obviously the Islamic State has been active in the area for the past year, largely targeting small villages that have failed to comply with its demands for shelter, food, and support. Northern Iraq has largely gone untouched by the political turbulence in Baghdad in the south, so this is seen as a kind of a big red flag that's going on in the north. Uh, since the demonstrations began, as I said, uh, they're looking at 240, 294 Iraqis being killed and over 9,800 wounded. Of course, the security forces and militia have been firing live ammo at these protesters, and they're trying to fix that soup sandwich also by uh, putting out the government saying, oh, you're not allowed to use any more live ammo. Anything else in this? Yeah, just a lot of quotes from people. So that's uh, still going around in Iraq, and it doesn't show any sign of slowing down at all. What else? Let's go to Bolivia. And the political unrest is also still hitting Bolivia. That, of course, you guys know if you've been listening to this podcast, it's been going on all over South America. And the Bolivian president's grip on power, that is President Evo Morales, grew shakier as now police units in major cities are flipping their allegiance and joining in anti-government protests. And Morales' key allies are resigning, and some protesters have taken over local government offices. So Morales declared in a televised address on Saturday today, he said, quote, a coup is underway, end quote. He is calling on his supporters to take to the streets while asking political rivals to sit down for talks to resolve this crisis. Um, so they really don't want the military to crack down on protesters because the last time that happened was during a social unrest in 2003. And remember, these protests come after Morales claimed to have won an unprecedented fourth term last month despite concern, concerns from electoral observers over the validity of those results. 
Uh, so yeah, and they're taking over regional governor's offices, mayor's offices. God, it's lit down in South America, man. And I don't know if you guys saw this. Also in Bolivia, uh, in this in this violence that has been going on, some other stuff has been coming, kind of trickling down the chain to other politicians, and the mayor of Vinto, named Patricia Arce was kidnapped, and protesters kidnapped this female, this mayor, forcibly cut her hair, drenched her with red paint, made her sign an improvised resignation letter, and then marched her through the streets barefoot. And yes, you can see plenty of pictures. It's all over the place. It's pretty crazy. Now, she is a member of the party who is led by President Morales, okay? So she's kind of a proxy for him. And, uh, Yep. Protesters wearing masks to conceal their identities hauled Mrs. Arce out of her office and forced her to walk barefoot to the bridge where the blockade was happening. The protesters then, yelling out, murderous, made her kneel down, cut her hair, sprayed her with that red paint, and forced her to sign the resignation letter. Uh, so if you want to, you can go see the video circulating on social media where uh, Arcee, who was dressed, uh, drenched in red paint and her head shaved, she's surrounded by masked protesters, and she's fairly defiant. She says, I'm not going to shut up. She was eventually rescued by police. So things continue to get crazy in Bolivia. And what else? How about the, let's go to Africa. And this attack in Burkina Faso, which killed at least 37 people. God, this is unbelievable. This is like nothing. This is just another day in Africa. Those gunmen killed at least 37 people this week in an attack on a convoy carrying employees, suppliers, and contractors of a Canadian mining company called Semifo. And that mining company is based in Montreal. This is one of the deadliest episodes in the recent tide of violence that has gripped the West African nation. Now, the company said that five buses were being escorted by Burkini Faso's military were attacked while traveling to an open pit gold mine in the eastern part of the country. So, the governor of the country's eastern region confirmed the death toll in a statement, but he offered no information about the victims' identities. Now, if you guys have been listening, you remember, I've been talking about the recent violence in Burkina Faso, which has forced hundreds of thousands of people to flee their homes. Uh, between August 6th and September 30th alone, international organizations estimate at least 26 military personnel were killed and 25 injured in attacks. And like other regions in Africa, it's kind of a smorgasbord of terrorist groups. You have the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara, and you have another group called Ansarul Islam. But these attacks that are in the eastern part of the country have gone kind of unclaimed, and some analysts believe that maybe those attacks may be motivated by score-settling and ethnic tension and even good old-fashioned monetary gain rather than terrorism-driven by ideology or religion. 
so Wednesday's attack of the 37 people was the third deadly attack in 15 months against that Canadian mining company, Semifo, which also operates a second mine in Burkina Faso. Uh, for example, in December 2018, five people traveling to Banjou were killed in nearly the same spot. And then in August of last year, Semifo said that a bus headed to the company's other mine was held up by criminals and that gunfire was exchanged. So after that happened, the mining company started moving its employees by helicopter between the mines. But this is crazy, and no word about if the military forces took any casualties in that. Uh, yeah, they, they, the mining company seems to be kind of convinced that this is more like banditry rather than, as I said, the traditional Islamic terrorism in the area. Okay, let's go to this one, and I'm fascinated with this. I assume this goes on all the time. Former Twitter employees charged with spying for Saudi Arabia. That's right. On Wednesday, the Justice Department accused two men of using their positions and their access to Twitter's internal systems to aid Saudi Arabia by obtaining information on American citizens and Saudi dissidents who opposed the policies of the kingdom and its leaders. These two men are named Ali Al-Zabara. He was an engineer. And then Ahmad Abamo, who was a media partnerships manager at the company. And in that case, he could see all email addresses and phone numbers of Twitter accounts. So they have been charged with acting as agents of a foreign power inside the United States, and this is the first complaint of its kind involving Saudis in the country. Now there are all kinds of questions being raised about the security of American technology companies who are already under massive scrutiny for all the fake news constantly going on. And this shows that they don't just have to worry about bad actors on the outside creating fake accounts. They have to worry about these actors on the inside at the very tops of these companies. So, what else about this? Well, as part of Saudi Arabia's campaign to kind of silence its critics, its operatives have been active online. So, they think that Saudi operatives actually groomed that Al-Zabara guy, the engineer, even before charges were filed. Western intelligence officials had suspected him of spying on user accounts at Twitter to help Saudi leadership. Hmm. Now, both of these men had left Twitter in 2015, so that, but they're just now kind of getting charged for it. Oh, there's a little bit more. In addition to those two, federal prosecutors charged Ahmed Al-Muteri, who previously ran a social media marketing company that did work for the Saudi royal family. So Al-Muteri and Al-Zabara are Saudi citizens, and the uh, Abuamo guy is an American. So the communications between the Twitter employees and a Saudi official began in 2014, but investigators did not contact Twitter until the end of 2015 when they informed executives that the Saudi government was grooming employees to gain information about the company's users. Uh, okay, so I'm just scrolling through the story to find out. They said Al-Zabara looked at over 6,000 Twitter accounts on behalf of Saudi officials. 
So once Twitter was notified by the government of what was going on, it placed Al Zabara on administrative leave while it investigated. So while they did not find direct evidence that Al Zabara had handed data over to the Saudi kingdom, he left the government in, I'm sorry, he left the company, Twitter, in December of 2015. And then he eventually returned to Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Uh, so I'm just looking to see if like Twitter just fired these guys. Okay, and here's another, here's some more information. Abuamo, the other guy, he quit Twitter in May 2015. He moved to Seattle for a marketing job at Amazon, but then he left the company more than a year ago. When the FBI interviewed him in 2018, he actually lied to the FBI agent and produced false documents, stated the complaint. He was arrested in Seattle on Tuesday. Uh, Saudi Arabia is one of Twitter's five most active markets. How about that? It does not say what the other four are, inexplicably, New York Times. Um, anything else in here? Yeah. Well, I just assume this is going on all the time in every company. And this is the pitfall of being a diverse melting pot nation who takes in tons of immigrants, especially at these tech companies. Uh, how many, I've done many, many stories about the Chinese and the Chicom spying on U.S. corporations. They go to our schools, they get jobs, and they're, they've been groomed when they start passing along. It's a long, well-known tactic right there. Uh, why is Twitter so big in Saudi Arabia? Well, some of the people think that it's because Saudi Arabia doesn't really provide public spaces where citizens can gather to discuss news and politics. What's more, it's kind of a totalitarian society, so you, if you badmouth you know, the uh, MBS, the head of Saudi Arabia, you could get your head lopped off. So many Saudi citizens have multiple cell phones to do this. According to one recent report, Saudi Arabia had 9.9 million active Twitter users. Here you go. Here's the what, I, the what I was looking for earlier in a separate article. See, guys, this is how good I am. I anticipate the failure of the media to give me the desired information, and I already have the tab opened with the de desired information that I seek. Do you believe this? Do you believe what I have to go through to get you guys this stuff? It's unbelievable. Okay, so Saudi Arabia is the fourth highest in the world as far as number of Twitter users. Behind, ranked number one is the U.S., followed by Britain, then Japan, and then Saudi Arabia. But in terms of the percentage of the population using the platform, Saudi Arabia is ranked number one. 37% of Saudi Arabian residents use Twitter compared with 18%. In the United States. So you can see why they would look at Twitter as a very key battleground for that. All right, let's go to Europe. And I was tweeting this story out at Bravo Kilo Actual as the uh, as it unfolded. And this was uh this this was a five alarm fire for sure. This was when military police officers were alerted to a possible hijacking at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport. And air traffic controllers were scrambling flight schedules at one of Europe's busiest air hubs. And there was all kinds of stuff floating around social media. I think I retweeted a few saying, oh, men suspected with knives, you know, seized, hijacked a plane. And I'm thinking to myself, how is that possible in this day and age? How is it possible for like a group of guys, forget one, a group of people in coordination to get on a plane with weapons in this day and age? It sounded like it was hard to believe. Well, it was. It was a false alarm. 
Air Europa is a Spanish uh, airline, said it was all a mistake. A warning system on one of its flights from Amsterdam to Madrid had been accidentally activated late in the day. Uh, how the alarm was set off originally, Air Europa did not say, and nor did it say how many passengers had been affected. Uh, so, images on social media, you could see sections of the airport closed off, armed officers swarming in. They probably activated the local hostage rescue team, I'm sure. And uh, it's not in this article, but from what I understand, uh, somebody was showing an intern. I read a report where the pilot or somebody in the cockpit was showing someone else. Oh, hey, this is the fucking button that that lets the entire world know we've been hijacked. Now, I don't freaking know, guys. I'm just saying I can. How do you end up mashing that button as you're showing it? As you're showing the button that you definitely under zero circumstances want to push accidentally, you push the button. Who's that genius? I don't know. Anyway, all's well that ends well. I thought we were going back. It was like a flashback to like the late 90s with the hijackings or something. Pretty crazy. And what else? Let's go to China. This is pretty fascinating. China has now set regulations that are meant to curb video game addiction which they are blaming for a rise in nearsightedness and poor academic performance. That's right. No playing video games after 10 p.m. and no more than 90 minutes of gaming on weekdays. Oh, further, if you want to add on stuff, I don't know if you guys, if any of you guys play video games, what you, or if you don't, you can buy stuff in-game, like if you want a cool outfit for your character. I know, it sounds stupid when you say that out loud, right? That somebody would actually pay for this? Well, they do, and it's huge money. Well, so these are called add-ons. You can add on to your game by paying a buck here, buck there, right? Well, they're going to limit those add-ons to $57 a month. So these regulations were announced by the National Press and Publication Administration on Tuesday. And yes, they do ban users younger than 18 from playing games between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. And they are not permitted to play more than 90 minutes on weekdays and three hours on weekends and holidays. So China's online gaming industry is one of the world's largest. You know how much this is? You want to know why they do all this? Because of the money. This gaming industry in China generates more than $33 billion dollars in annual revenue and has hundreds of millions of users. So under President Xi Jinping, officials in China are starting to take this more hardline approach in regulating these large technology companies. And as we've covered with the whole NBA fiasco, push them to help spread cultural values advanced by the ruling Communist Party. And video games are now a very popular target. So how would this work? Well, the National Press and Publication Administration, that's the name of the CHICOM people who run this shit. They said that minors would be required to use real names and identification numbers when they log on to play. Wow. And this is what they're trying to do. This is a totalitarian nation. This is what they do. So uh, interestingly enough, the industry kind of saw these regulations coming and adjusted accordingly. So analysts are saying that these regulations were unlikely to hurt revenue. 
and they think a lot of young gamers are going to be able to find ways around these regulations, such as the most obvious and easily easily accomplished one is using their parents' phone and identification numbers. Hmm. So yes, they added that China was now one of the most heavily regulated video game markets in the entire world. So all you nerds, I mean, come on, get outside, would you? You know, I it was funny. I so I had a place. I had a PlayStation. I played video games overseas a lot. You know, with the uh, other contractors, military stuff. I had a, I had a PS4 like, and it broke like a couple of years ago, and I just never got another one because I was thinking like that's such a waste of my time. When I have so many other things I want to accomplish, and I'm not—that's not bashing video games. On the contrary, video games are so fun. I recognize my own weakness, where I know I'm going to end up sitting on the couch because playing Call of Duty for hours at a time and blasting fools—it's fun. I played with my friend, 16-year-old kid, the other day. It's great. And knowing that, I just decided, you know what? I'm probably just better off with that one. And I'm not, so I'm not saying they're bad. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. That's the problem. They're not bad. They're great. Remember, all this stuff has been carefully engineered by many, many people to hook you, whether it's the social media, we've talked about the dopamine response, whether it's the video games, the idea is to keep you playing. It's like the movie Casino. Remember when he's talking about the casinos and what they want you to do? They want to keep you playing because the more you play, the more you spend, and that's what it's all about. Let's go back to the Middle East and go to Jordan. An assailant stabbed eight people at the popular archaeological site of Jarash in northern Jordan this week. The man was arrested. The motive for the attack remains unclear. I'm always fascinated with these mass stabbing stories, you know, like how do you get to eight people before? I mean, aren't they aren't piling on you? I guess if you move really fast, you could. Well, four foreign tourists and four Jordanians were wounded and taken to the hospital. Three of the foreign victims were Mexican citizens, and one of the others was Swiss. Uh, one of the local Jordanians was a police officer, and him and the Swiss tourist were in serious condition, while the other ones seemed to be okay. And of course, if you go to social media, you can see video from the scene. A woman could be seen lying face down on the ground as someone presses a towel against her lower back. Uh, a little bit about the city of Jarash. It, why is it a tourist attraction? Well, it contains one of the best preserved provincial cities of the Roman Empire, a lot of which has still not yet been excavated. Hmm, neat. It is one of the country's main tourist attractions, along with that archaeological site, Petra. That's probably, the if you guys are thinking you've seen some Jordan stuff, that's probably, you saw the city of Petra. It's very famous. Uh, anything else about this? That was about it for this story. Okay, so you got a knife attack. Great. Well, uh, let's go to Florida Man. He's always uh, going to cheer me up, and let's do that right here. And a Florida man uh, presented to the hospital with mysterious abdominal pain. And the unnamed 46-year-old had suffered a near-fatal punctured bowel, resulting in septic shock that sent him to the emergency room, according to the case report published in the Annals of Medicine and Surgery. So he's in a lot of pain. He's at the ER. And he's not talking about his stomach pain, so it took a CT scan to find out what was responsible 
for his symptoms. And what what did the CT scan show? It showed an eight-inch screwdriver in his rectum. That's right. And I love, you got to love these stories. Like the guy shows up because you know the doctor right away. <laughs> right away, the doctor is going to get a basic medical history. And that's the part on paper where you, the patient, is supposed to be like, nope, I don't have any drug allergies. I don't take any medications. I did shove an 8-inch screwdriver up my ass about a day ago. It, that, that would be the ideal patient right there because then, you know, you kind of fucking figure out what's going on. But no, this clown doesn't say anything. He's in a CT room, and it takes a doctor. He has to give him a CT scan to find out what's going on. Idiot. His medical records showed a history of mental illness, including schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. That seems like a cop-out to me. So after x-rays revealed the screwdriver in his anus, the man was immediately administered antibiotics and rushed to the operating room where doctors attempted to remove the screwdriver without surgery. However, hardened human waste made retrieval impossible, so surgeons were forced to cut into the man's abdominal cavity, and there they discovered that the metal tip of the screwdriver has, had perforated his large intestine and dug itself into his buttock muscle. With his rectum disabled, surgery was performed to direct waste into a bag outside his body, or his colostomy bag. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like it won't be permanent, and he's very lucky. Now, the study of this case did add that there have been at least two previous documented cases of screwdrivers discovered in the colon. And one of those led to death. So, in the case, at this, in this particular case, the Florida man, uh, doctors did not report on the man's explanation for inserting a screwdriver into his anus. But in their report, they did write, quote, the most common reason by far for anal foreign body insertion is sexual pleasure. Of course, you guys all filled in that blank correctly, and we all know it. Now, other possible reasons could be drug concealment, assault, and blah, blah, blah. But let's face it, like 98% of the time, if a guy is showing up, if, there, if there's something in a dude's ass, it's there because of pleasure. I mean, shit, you guys know it. I cover this stuff on a podcast every week. All right, so hope it works out, buddy. Don't shove stuff in your ass, guys. There's so many other things to do. Why are you, why are you doing that? You want a colostomy bag for the rest of your life because your fucking <laughs> bowels get perforated? I don't know. I don't know what you guys are doing. Whatever happened to regular sex? Is that just so boring for you guys? I don't know. Okay, let's go back to uh, let's go back to Africa and talk about this guy. A Congolese warlord known as the Terminator was sentenced this week to 30 years in prison by an international court at The Hague for war crimes, including murder, rape, and sexual slavery. This sentence was the highest ever handed down by the International Criminal Court at The Hague. So this warlord is named Bosco Netaganda, 46 years old, 
and he was found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in July of 18 counts of war crimes and crimes against humanity for his role in atrocities in a bloody ethnic conflict in the mineral-rich Ituri region of the Congo in 2002 to 2003. Now, he has always said he is innocent. Yeah, okay. Uh, he became a symbol for widespread impunity in Africa in the seven years between being indicted by the global court and finally surrendering in 2013 as his power base fell apart. His career spanned almost 20 years of fighting, first in Rwanda and then in one of those various assorted rebel groups that vie for control in that coveted region of eastern Congo. He actually served as a general in the Congolese army. And he maintained a reputation as one of the most ruthless and cruel of Congo's rebel leaders. He conscripted children, gave them uniforms, AK-47. He uh, turned female fighters, many of them underage, into sex slaves. He was accused of personally shooting and killing a Catholic priest and of being responsible for the massacre of a village where women and babies were all put to death. So, good riddance. I don't know. See, because it's a bunch of SJWs, though, in, at The Hague, they just won't kill them. They'll just give them a 30-year sentence. They need a death penalty. I mean, come on. What are we doing here? Let's talk about other killings. Let's go to southern Thailand, where gunmen killed at least 15 people at a security checkpoint in the south of Thailand. That is the worst outbreak of violence in years in Thailand's insurgency-plagued border region. This was at a checkpoint of some kind, security checkpoint. It doesn't say military. It says security checkpoint, so it could be local law enforcement. But the attackers did storm several spots around the checkpoint in this Yala province. The post was guarded by a mix of village defense volunteers, police officers, and other security personnel. So eight people were killed on the spot while seven died in the hospital. Three more people sustained serious injuries. Officials also said the gunmen stole weapons from the checkpoint as well. Uh, so they some rescuers tried to show it up, but they were delayed by nails and fallen trees that the militants had scattered across the road to foil any rescue efforts. So this was well thought off. I believe I've mentioned what Thailand is going through in the past, but just a refresher. They do have an ethnic Malay Muslim insurgency against the majority Buddhist state. And this kind of all started more than like about 15 years ago, this Muslim insurgency, right? So they say since it started 15 years ago, more than 7,000 people in southern Thailand have been killed, counting both sides of the divide. Now, the three southernmost provinces... Uh, are bordering Malaysia. So that's where kind of this uh, influence come from. Uh, violence does rarely extend beyond the confines of those provinces, but now, since lately, it's been happening more and more. The attacks from these insurgents usually come in the form of ambushes on checkpoints or bombs targeting military outposts or crowded locations like shopping malls or hotels and drive-by shootings of village chiefs and others seen as tied to the state of Thailand are common. They've also had beheadings and the burning of bodies, particularly of female teachers. So unlike some other Muslim insurgencies, 
many of which who have tied themselves to transnational organizations like Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State. The militants in southern Thailand so far have focused more on localized grievances rather than calls for a global jihad. So, uh, this is why, and this has been going on for a long time. Over the years, the central government has actually transformed this region into what feels like a giant war zone, and they do have 60,000 Thai security forces stationed in the three southernmost provinces. Uh, and they do have, to protect themselves against these groups, they have armed volunteers, like kind of a militias set up here. And that's why they had these civilians at this checkpoint, because after they receive a little bit of military training, these volunteers are assigned to these checkpoints. And most of those who died were members of one of these volunteer defense squads. Hmm. And this comes on the heels of other stories. Uh, for example, last month, a Buddhist judge in Yala, he shot himself in a courtroom to protest what he said was pressure from above to sentence Muslim defendants to the death penalty, despite a lack of evidence in the case. Oh, you know what? He lived. <laughs> He's, he shot himself in the chest, and he did survive the bullet wound. Man, it's just all over. Don't take law and order for granted, you guys. I keep telling you. What else? Let's keep going around the world. Iran announced plans this week to reactivate its most sensitive nuclear production site. Isn't that great? Which is a deep underground uranium enrichment center in a step that dismantles more of the last major restrictions on the country of Iran under that 2015 nuclear deal. So, uh, yeah, Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, said that his patience had run out uh, for the lifting of Western economic sanctions and that Iran would begin to inject uranium gas into the more than 1,000 centrifuges that remained in this production facility. But he did make it clear that this step was part of a pressure campaign to force Europe to make good on its promises to compensate Iran for the cost of harsh sanctions that the United States imposed on Iran after President Trump abandoned that 2015 nuclear deal. Uh, the State Department did, did criticize his actions, and uh, in a statement they said, quote, Iran has no credible reason to expand its uranium enrichment program at this facility or elsewhere other than a clear attempt at nuclear extortion that will only deepen its political and economic isolation, end quote. So this is the third time in six months that Rouhani has announced a careful series of escalations of Iran's nuclear capacity. And uh, this week they also said they're already producing enriched uranium at an even faster pace at its primary nuclear enrichment center at Natanz. Great. That's great, isn't it? Fucking Iran. Okay. Well, have it your way. So just we'll just keep uh, cutting you off then. We'll see. All right. Uh, let's go to... The political roundup, you guys, and we did have an election this week, and I told you guys to go elect, uh, go vote, rather, and uh, you didn't. And now we have uh, Virginia. The state of Virginia is now a solid blue state, thanks to the massive growth of the D.C. Leviathan government and the many, many tens of thousands of government workers who moved to the northern Virginia's area. So... 
Democrats have gained now about 20 seats in the Virginia House of Delegates since 2015, especially in that Northern Virginia and Richmond area. And not long ago, you know, that those areas were farmland and it was very conservative. This is like Loudoun County, you know, right outside the DC suburbs. So the, um, like everything else, this is purely demographics. That's all it is. The massive immigration combined with the massive influx of more educated, uh, liberal government workers has uh, basically the writing was on the wall for a long time. It's a totally different world. And the state population is up since 1990, 38%. And almost all of that came in those D.C. suburbs and like Loudoun County area. So this is kind of going on all over the place. And the GOP really doesn't have any answer for it. Uh, this is a pattern that's repeating itself from Atlanta to Houston. We've seen it in Colorado. Well, we saw it in California long ago where Orange County, the so-called bastion of conservatism in California, is now a deep blue. And uh, this is where this is going to be the challenge. And everybody now, they hate Trump so much that they are going to vote for whoever. And uh, this is what the people want. So you know my, you know me, guys. Whoever shows up and wins, that's who shows up. It's all about turnout. And that's what it is. So, And Virginia was not the only place. Uh, another place they took control, Democrats, was Delaware County. <laughs> this county has been under Republican control since the Civil War. That's why it's seen as noteworthy. Democrats declared victory in three races for Delaware County's five-member city council and swept Republicans entirely from what had been an all-Republican panel just a couple years ago. Okay, good job. I hope they tax the fuck out of you people. I really do. Because that's apparently the only thing. Nothing else matters. People just say they hate the orange man. I get it. So you're going to vote for these far-left Marxists. Good. I hope they take all your friggin' money. Sorry, I'm getting all worked up here just talking about it. Uh, who else? Uh, there were a few funny election notes because it did happen in a variety of states. Um, Kansas City is getting shit on because they voted overwhelmingly to remove Dr. Martin Luther King's name from one of the city's most historic boulevards. That's funny. The decision comes less than a year after the city council decided to rename the street, which had been known as the Paseo. So unofficial results showed the prop proposal to remove King's name received nearly 70% of the vote. Man, that's not a good look. Yeah, a group of residents really wanted to keep that Paseo name. I'm sure there's other racial aspects to it as well. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's the way it goes, man. It's not always going to be good. I mean, I'm all about if you show up to win, that's it. You know, so no sympathy. Uh, there were a few other notes. Oh, for uh, Tucson, I mentioned I was just in Tucson. I was at Davis Mothin Air Force Base for that retirement. Well, they they voted too. Interestingly enough, Tucson is fairly progressive compared to the rest of rapidly turning blue Arizona, but. At this election, voters overwhelmingly rejected an Indian initiative to turn Tucson into a sanctuary city. That initiative was called 
Tucson families free and together. God, you believe the fucking propaganda around this? This name? That's what the name is for the. That's what the name is because they don't want you. They don't want the police handing over convicted child molesters to ICE. That's the whole thing. So what do they do? They call it Tucson families free and together. Do you see how it works, you guys? This was also Proposition 205. Well, it lost big. Uh, if I just have to scroll all the way down this article because they bury the bad news and the you know the New York Times badly wanted this to pass. So the city council in 2012 of Tucson voted in favor of becoming an immigrant welcoming city and the Tucson Police Department revised its policies in 2015 to essentially shift officers' focus away from immigration status and their interactions with civilians. I hate the way they put that. They make it sound like the cops are going around and interrogating people and asking for passports, which is nonsense. Guys, I've covered this topic for many years. All we want is for the local jails to tell ICE when they have an illegal alien who's committed crimes. That's all. I don't want the cops going into the fields to bother the strawberry pickers for fuck's sakes. But every story I read, that's the implication. That the ICE, the cops are going to be out there rounding people up at the, in the fields. It's ridiculous. It's constant propaganda. And it didn't work in this case because according to unofficial election results, about 71% of voters told them to fuck off with Proposition 205 and did reject it. Uh, so, yeah. Of course, the editorial board of the Arizona Daily Star said it supports the goals and mission of Prop 205, but we cannot support this specific initiative. Oh, dude, if the SJWs at the editorial board of a newspaper, you know it was bad. It had to have been really, really bad, the actual text of the bill, for those people not to support it. Oh, and the mayor, Mayor Jonathan Rothschild, a Democrat, said that Tucson opposed cruel immigration policies, but added that the initiative would do irreparable harm to this community in ways that have nothing to do with immigration. Well, what's a cruel... Immig- a, they think a cruel immigration policy is deporting illegal aliens. They think that's cruel. <laughs> oh, well. At least they, the only thing that matters is they passed it. And uh, speaking of our political roundup, you know, I have a couple clips... Well, before I get to the clips, let me uh, talk to a few other notes about the election. First of all, a Somali woman is now on the Lewiston City Council. 23-year-old Safia Khalid is now a city councilwoman in Lewiston. That is the second largest city in Maine, and it is famous for its thousands and thousands of African newcomers. And this is uh, what happened. The same thing happened in Somalia. They imported tens of thousands of Somalis. So what do you know? The Somalis are going to elect one of their own. They imported thousands and thousands of Somalis and other Africans in Lewiston. And what do you know? They elect one of their own. Duh. She won with nearly 70% of the vote. And this comes along a trend of first and second generation candidates from four African countries, Somalia, Congo, Ghana, and Nigeria, winning seats on city councils and school committees across the state. And of course, you know, Maine is famously white. So this is going to be and bring up many unpleasant conversations about demographics and everything else that we're not supposed to notice. So the city of Lewiston is now a population of 36,000. And of that 36,000, it, it is home to more than 5,000 Africans. 
All right, well, you see what's... That's, hey, it's all about turnout. That's it. Uh, also, uh, stupid Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, he's filing papers, paving the way for the U.S. presidential bid. That's too funny, this guy. I love how the stupid media, too, is like, Bloomberg shakes up the race. This is a game changer. And I'm like, the only thing you remember, anybody remembers about that dope is he's the guy who wanted uh, to ban the Big Gulp Cup. That's the only thing. Uh, Bloomberg is, of course, the 77-year-old billionaire. And, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's now going to go to the race. Trump was asked about Bloomberg, and uh, he already is glossing him with a nickname. So let's hear Trump being asked about Michael Bloomberg entering the race. So I've known Michael Bloomberg for a long time. If you go back early on, he, had, he said a lot of great things about Trump. But I know Michael, he became just a nothing. He was really a nothing. Uh, he's not going to do well, but I think he's going to hurt Biden, actually. But he doesn't have the magic to do well. Uh, little Michael will fail. He'll spend a lot of money. Uh, he's got some really big issues. He's got some personal problems. And he's got a lot of other problems. But I know Michael mm. Bloomberg fairly well. Not too well, fairly well. Well enough. He will not do very well. And if he did, I'd be happy. There is nobody I'd rather run against than little Michael. That I can tell you. <laughs> okay, little Michael. Well, he already used that one for little Marco. Remember? He's got to come up with something better than that. Come on, Trump. I want more. I want more uh, out of you for this. I've come to expect a lot from the nicknames. Uh, also, let's go to Elizabeth Warren. She had a few choice quotes. Uh, first of all, she said she's now open to suspending deportations even for people with criminal records. Now, I'm going to kind of skip around the first part because the question is asked in Spanish and there's like a long delay between the Spanish speaker and her talking. Uh, so it's it's a little bit it's a little bit much, but let me let me see if I can just kind of find where in this it is and let her start talking. Will you be willing to include people like my husband with criminal records as part of the moratorium on deportations? I am so sorry for the troubles that you and your five children face. <laughs> Unbelievable. She, where she'll be able to hear. Okay, okay they're figuring it out. This, this, this is um, mind eye glazing. So I am open to uh, suspending deportations, particularly as a way to push Congress for comprehensive immigration reform. Ah, that um, word. I believe that what we're doing right now with ICE, focusing on people who do not pose a threat. That's a lie. Um, Complete uh, lie. That uh, when ICE comes into our communities, our? takes our neighbors, our friends, our family members, that they do not make this country safer. Listen to this horseshit. And that we need ICE and Custom and Border Patrol. It is focused on real threats from terrorism, threats, uh, container shipping uh, that comes into <laughs> the, the container United shipping. States contraband that we need to worry about. It's con Okay, so I, I can't take anymore. Do you listen to her talk. Does that sound like somebody you want as president? Listen to that. She sounds like she's in the home. 
container ships. Are you freaking kidding me right now? How shitty is our media? How is it possible that not one member of the media has gone up with their microphone to all these candidates and started asking specific hard questions about cities who do not cooperate with ICE and whether they agreed with them? How is it that not one reporter has said, for example, we saw that Montgomery County just released yet another illegal alien child rapist without notifying ICE. How is a reporter not going up to every Democratic person running for president and saying, hey, do you support the local law enforcement releasing convicted illegal alien child molesters instead of handing them over to ICE? How about accused murderers? How about convicted rapists? How about convicted drunk drivers or thieves? or assault and batterers. What is your answer to that, candidate? Isn't it pathetic that I'm the only one who even brings it up? The fix is in, you guys. You think I'm joking? Our media is fucking completely useless. Um, and... What else? I had another one from her, but I think I just accidentally closed the tab. That's okay. She's, she's, completely, uh, she's completely useless anyway. And uh, let's go to a rally... There was a Bernie rally, and I, this clip caught my eye. I have not listened to the clip yet, but apparently the woman speaking at the Bernie rally is a Native American woman, and she's talking about how everybody in the U.S. Uh, lived in harmony before it was America, and it was like uh, Natives only. So I want to hear this. Let's hear how it goes. At this time, I'd like to recognize this land. Iowa is a place that was highly affected by genocide and colonization due to the rich and fertile soil that lies between the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. Before our ancestors were murdered and cleared out of this area, they farmed and lived on this land in a way that humans, the four-legged, the plant and tree people, the fish people, and Mother Earth all benefited from. Fish people? The Meskwaki managed to survive the genocide and remain here today. Okay, so I, I, had to, I wanted to bring this up because this is a popular myth that everybody was living in harmony in the United States, America, North America, before those damn Europeans came. Have you guys ever read anything about what was going on between the Indian tribes before the Europeans came? Yeah. They were not living in harmony. They butchered each other constantly. They were constantly fighting wars. This is such a pervasive myth. It's sickening. And indeed, if you ever read about the history of the Aztec Empire, which I'm fascinated with, you would know that the reason the Spaniards were able to overcome the Aztecs so easily was in great part because they enlisted a lot of the other local indigenous tribes to help them fight the Aztecs because the Aztecs would routinely capture and then ritually slaughter thousands of people in other tribes. I'm just so tired of the myth. Can't you just tell the truth? What is this mythology that we have constantly? Um, and also in the political roundup, the uh, I forgot to tell you, the remember the cyclist who flipped off Trump's motorcade? Yeah, she won some obscure race, and the New York Times was very excited about that. Uh, Pete Buttigieg horrified Twitter this week because he was on the campaign trail in Iowa, and he was, uh, he was eating cinnamon rolls. But what he was doing was he was eating cinnamon rolls with a knife and fork, and he was biting into the rolls. He was rolling them up and biting into the cinnamon roll like it was a chicken wing. So everybody was making fun of him for that. And honestly, Buddha Judge, dude, I stand by my 
uh, my claim that I think secretly he is into all kinds of crazy kinky shit because he's just a he he's a serial killer. That's all I'm going to say it. Oh, and uh, finally Jeff Sessions, yeah, Sleepy Jeff. He decided he wants to run for the United States Senate in Alabama and he put out his campaign commercial at Terry. Jeff Sessions here, I approve this ad. When I left President Trump's cabinet, did I write a tell-all book? No. Did I go on CNN and attack the president? Nope. Have I said a crossword about our president? Not one time. And I'll tell you why. First, that would be dishonorable. I was there to serve his agenda, not mine. Second, the president's doing a great job for America and Alabama. And he has my strong support. All right, there's Jeff Sessions. I can't wait. I love when the old the, the Hicks run for because they're so like imitable. You know, Jeff Sessions is like, I'm Jeff Sessions. Did I write a tell-all book? Hell no. You know, he goes on like that. I love it. So good for him and Jeff Sessions running for Alabama. And he will win. I'm, I'm predicting it right now. Uh, that is it for your political roundup, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it's not the same without Robert O'Rourke, but that's what it is. Let's talk a few military stories here. Remember the Camp Pendleton U.S. Marine Corps human smuggling case? Remember, I covered that heavily here. Well, it turns out they actually, the Marine Corps, filmed the entire thing. And the San Diego Union Tribune did put it out on their YouTube account. I watched the clips. Three different video clips by public affairs personnel did show the arrest of 15 Marines at that formation. Remember, this was July 25th. And the Union Tribune this week reported the existence of the video, and the Marine Division spokesman did confirm it was taken. Uh, however, they said that the Marines themselves would not be releasing the video. Well, it's a little late for that. It's all over YouTube now. I just watched it. So they wa- they said they filmed it because they wanted to document the detainments that took place. And uh, this article is horribly written, by the way, in the LA Times. I should have just gone to the Union Tribune. But it is pretty funny because they called out like the 15 dudes to all line up abreast in the front of this formation. And then you see the entire, then you see like 40 freaking NCIS agents, the police, just come out and start arresting them and taking them all away. So good. Yeah. All, you believe this? You believe we have United States Marines that are human smuggling? You fucking believe this? Unreal. And more military guys behaving in a not-so-great fashion. A retired brigadier general was charged with 15 counts of child pornography. That is retired Air Force Brigadier General Frank Sullivan. And he was charged after a search of his home in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Turned up computers replete with thousands of searches for preteen images and pictures of children engaged in very graphic sexual acts. Dude, every week, you guys, every week I'm covering the pedophiles. And every week I am just blown away by how widespread this is and how this goes to the very top of our societies. Powerful people, doctors, teachers. Lawyers, politicians, generals, a general. Man. Uh, agents from the local uh, office, whoever, whatever law enforcement office did it, said um, they discovered Sullivan's 
penchant for viewing images of preteen children during an in investigation into some kind of file sharing network. And then they uh, took a look at his computer, and a computer forensic analysis also identified 37 search terms commonly used by people looking for child porn on his laptop. Oh, my. I don't, I don't even want to know what those search terms were. Holy shit. Not good. Not, not good. Okay, uh, this is a let's let's. I want to talk about this guy really quick. And uh, first of all, I have to shout out. This is a story that takes place in Argentina, and I know I've become recently uh, aware that I have a significant listening base in Argentina. So huge shout out to all you guys. Your cousin told me a bunch of you listen in Argentina. This is worldwide, you guys. You get it? This isn't just me in San Diego. This isn't just America. The podcast is worldwide. It's. The tentacles are everywhere into every federal agency. You can't hide from me. So, what is this story? Well, Argentina has a new president. His name is Alberto Fernandez. Okay? Now, the interesting... That's not the interesting thing about him. The interesting thing is that he has a son named Estanislao. I'm probably butchering that name, who's 24 years old. Well, his son is also an Instagram model who wears drag, like drag outfits, women's clothing, and, and he cosplays as various sexy animated characters. I'm looking at a few of them right now. Uh, so he's, appears, uh, he's appeared dressed as a Spice Girl, a uh, sexy Pikachu, from the Pokemon. I'm looking at his Instagram right now. He's got 195,000 followers. And now his father recently won the Argentina election. He ousted the conservative president, Mauricio Macri, and his father is like a big left-wing kook. Okay. So now he's getting bullied over his uh, son's cross-dressing on Instagram. Fernandez, of course, is a big champion of LGBT issues. Uh, LGBT rights in Argentina are some of the world's most advanced. Uh, Argentina was actually the first country in Latin America to legalize same-sex marriage in 2010. And this kind of came up with the election because the son of Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, his name is Eduardo Bolsonaro, when the election was over, the son of Bolsonaro responded by retweeting an image of himself holding a gun along with an image of Estanislao dressed in his sexy Pikachu costume. <laughs> you know, to show the contrast. Like, hey, look at me. I'm a big badass with my gun, and look at this, uh, look at this kook over here in his uh, girlish, sexy cartoon outfit. Uh, so this was a big backlash, too. Now, the escalates have uh, the attacks have escalated further after his father won the election, and now they're uh, they're not too happy that the son of the president is uh, flaunting his man cleavage all over Instagram. So, there you go. That should be a fun four years right there. Is that how long Argentina presidents are elected for? I don't even know. Anyway, shout out to my Argentina guys. Now, speaking of Instagram, huge news. Oh, the Instagram. Oh, the Instagram hoes. You're going to be mad. You're going to be mad. You know why? Because now Instagram is going to start test hiding likes. 
in the United States starting next week. That's right. So, months after the company already tested this in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Ireland, Italy, and Brazil, the CEO of Instagram, Adam Mosseri, announced at a conference that some U.S. Instagram users can expect their like counts to vanish from public view. So the company will begin testing next week at first rolling the change to a limited number of accounts. Well, which accounts are they going to do it? Uh, so hiding like counts is the latest step in Instagram's quest to become the safest place on the internet. But this move is coming with a lot of pushback. Who, for example, note that hiding engagement metrics will make it harder to determine whose follower count is legitimate. And yeah, you know, let me just jump in here because... It's not that I'm so vain. Look, we all like the likes. Okay, I'm no better than anybody else. But I, I want to. I like the like. I want to see what gets the most traction. And the most obvious way for me to see like what you guys like to listen to is when I put up a description of the podcast, and some get way more likes than others. I'm like, okay, that's the kind of content people want to see. Does that make sense? Now, apparently, I will still, if I'm reading this article correctly. I can still see how many people liked it, so maybe it's not that big of a deal, but you guys won't be able to see how many like it. Uh, huh. Fascinating. It does not say how they're going to select which accounts this applies to. Hmm. So, but uh, all you Instagram hoes, yeah, I mean, if you're doing this for... <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm on Instagram because I'm trying to get you guys to listen to the podcast to go to the Patreon and go to patreon.com, look for BK Actual and contribute. I'm trying to make dough here. That's my goal to get likes. If I could do all of that without being on Instagram, trust me, I would friggin' do it. Okay, let's go to the media. And let's talk about this whole Epstein ABC news anchor thing. This is great. So what is this? Well, ABC News anchor Amy Robach was caught on camera slamming her own network for allegedly sitting on the Jeffrey Epstein story three years ago. So in a video clip released by right-wing group, the Daily Beast has to point out, Project Veritas, that is James O'Keefe's organization, Robach is caught on a hot mic complaining to colleagues that her Epstein story was suppressed by network executives. So, I do have the clips. I'm going to play them in a moment. In a statement issued after the footage was made public, she said her comments were made in a private mo moment of frustration. And they said that they did not air the interview with Virginia Roberts. That is the woman who alleges Epstein used as a sex trafficker and trafficked her to his powerful friends, including Britain's Prince Andrew. Well, she thinks that it was done because they didn't want to lose out on access to the stupid royal family, if you can believe it. I mean, my God, does that, does that sum up our worthless media or what? No, 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 we can't talk about the story with the global billionaire pedophile and his billionaire pedophile friends because we have to interview the fucking stupid royal family. Like, I could give two shits about the royal family. It's nauseating to me. Uh, so I'm going to play. I have two. I have two different clips here. So let me play this first one. Uh, here is where she basically said what she had was uh, unbelievable material. So let's hear how this goes. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. 
we would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story. <laughs> and then um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. Unbelievable. Clinton. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like, every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh, my God. We, it was, um, what, what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago saying, like, aunt, like, we, there will come a day when we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. And I had it all three years ago. Yeah, she had it all three years ago. And nobody cared because they didn't want to lose out on an interview with Will and Kate. <laughs> uh, see, it's important for me to say a lot of this stuff out loud because, honestly, it sounds... It's, it, you don't believe how stupid it sounds until you repeat the words out loud. That's something I've noticed. Okay, and she went on. I have a second clip from James O'Keefe where she believes that Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. Uh, so let's hear how this one goes. So do I think he was killed? A hundred percent. Yes, I do. Because you want he made his whole living blackmailing people. There were a lot of men in those planes, a lot of men who visited that island, a lot of powerful men who came who? to that apartment. Who? Name them. I knew immediately. <clears throat> and they made it seem as though he made that suicide attempt two weeks earlier, but his lawyers claimed that he was roughed up by his cellmate around the neck. That was all, like, to plant the seed. And then, that's why I really believe it. Like, really believe it. Okay, she's a believer. Epstein didn't kill himself. I mean, honestly, if you still believe Epstein killed her, killed himself, you're you're too dumb to live. Uh, and so the latest update is they have named the alleged Epstein leaker, and she has spoken for the first time publicly on Friday. So CBS this morning, Ashley Bianco, she's a producer at CBS this morning was fired this week by the broadcast network after ABC said she's the one who accessed that Robach clip, the anchor woman, which was then released by Project Veritas. However, in an exclusive interview with Megan Kelly, former Fox News anchor, Bianco denied any involvement with the leak. She said, quote, I'm not the whistleblower. I'm sorry to ABC, but the leaker's still inside, end quote. She did admit to having saved that footage of Robach to ABC's internal system. Uh, she says she just did it for, like, office gossip. And uh, she said uh, it was common to put together funny anchor reels. She did it all the time, you know, as, like, a producer. I mean, this wasn't exactly funny. I mean, it is uh, notable. So... Yeah, she said that uh, she was watching the comments while she was at her desk, and she saw what Robach was saying, and she went to her manager, and I said, do you see what she's saying? 
and that everybody inside ABC was part, like, aware of the moment, and it was a topic of a lot of conversation inside the network, okay? So then ABC did their own investigation of who leaked this footage. They got, they thought it was her. So they reached out to CBS where this Bianco chick is now working and CBS then fired her. You believe these people? So friends at uh, ABC, I'm telling you, the heads of all these networks, you're all suspect. These are the new rules. Everybody at CBS this morning, you're all supportive of pedophiles. You're all supportive of these global billionaire child rapists. That's the way it works now. How do you like that? These people, honestly, they make me sick. These people in these show business, and what's worse, you guys, is the constant finger-wagging and moralizing that goes on these networks like ABC, CBS, CNN. These people wagging their finger at you because you fucking want the illegal aliens deported. Meanwhile, Don Lemon is sexually assaulting dudes in bars you know, while he's lecturing you about your politics. Man... That's just a whole den. Everybody in these news media organizations, honestly, you make me want to vomit. All of you. You're down the line, far left, predictable SJW social justice warriors who have perverted personal lives while you in turn lecture all of us. You all go to hell as far as I'm concerned. I've had it. I tell you, I'm freaking getting freaking fired up right now. So, all right. Guys, you know, this is what happens when you have this. This is an unscripted two-and-a-half-hour monologue. I'm the only guy on the Internet who's doing it. I keep trying to tell you. That's why I'm breaking records every week. Nobody else has the capability of doing a two-and-a-half-hour solo podcast and delivering a live performance like I do. That's it. And the jacked and tan. You kidding me? Nobody else is doing it, guys. Okay, what else? I think I might have briefly mentioned this one, but just in case I didn't, the Washington Post did a story about some doofus former radio host. And guys, you guys know I like the fate hate crimes. This is kind of fake hate crime adjacent. So this is an openly gay 35-year-old sports talk radio host named Seth Dunlap. He hosted his own nightly show on WWL New Orleans. Okay, he's talking about football and basketball. So it came as a shock when the station's official Twitter account posted a tweet calling him a homophobic slur in September. And the post was quickly deleted, but it prompted a flood of complaints to the station and an outpouring support of Dun for Dunlap, right? And he said in a statement on September 13th that uh, his armor, his emotional armor, that he wore all his life was shattered as a result of a hateful and homophobic Twitter attack from the official Twitter account of my employer. Well, you're not going to believe what happened next. This radio station did its investigation, and they said that the anti-gay tweet, which the Washington Post is too fucking soft to even print, said that the tweet was posted from Dunlap's own cell phone. <laughs> the radio station has fired him. Oh, and he's going to go to court. He's saying the firing was unjust. Okay, what? this is never going to go anywhere. He's just saying this to save some face. That's right. He always used to talk about how he'd been fired his jobs for being a gay man. 
And uh, oh, here's the, the okay. The, I I withdraw I withdraw my criticism of the Washington Post because although they do not have a screenshot of the tweet, they do print the text of a tweet, which I will now read. So, if you're slur sensitive, just uh, skip ahead. So, he put on Twitter, publishing his column. Dunlap wrote the following, quote, which of these five overreactions isn't actually an overreaction? You tell me, end quote. And the overreactions he's talking about when the Saints beat the Texans. So he's asking which of these five overreactions is not an overreaction. Well, the verified WWL account then said, quote, that you're a fag, end quote. <laughs> the station's message was taken down, but by then it was too late. So uh, Dunlap then took the night off from his show to reflect and decompress, and then he announced that his absence would be extended indefinitely. And, of course, all the SJW journalists piled in to you know, give their support. Oh, this is disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And then Dunlap allegedly demanded more than $1.8 million in compensation. So there's your motivation right there. And he said he was going to go scorched earth over this tweet. And the company hired a digital forensics firm, which found that the tweet had not come from a hack, as some had suspected, but rather from an IP address linked to Dunlap's phone. Okay. Nice try, bud. Boy, these people want to be impressed so, uh, oppressed so badly. But I get it. He, uh, he wants to get paid. I can certainly appreciate that. Big faker. Now, that's not to say that all hate crimes are faked. Here's a real one. Police in Wisconsin have charged a man with a hate crime after a Peruvian-born U.S. citizen had acid thrown in his face and was told to go back to his country. Uh, Mahud Vialaz, 42 years old, suffered second-degree burns to his face in a dispute over a parking spot in Milwaukee. God, people... Boy, you want to you see people go to war? Parking. Definitely around my neighborhood, for sure. So they have arrested and charged 61-year-old Clifton Blackwell with first-degree re reckless injury in that hate crime using a dangerous weapon. Where do people get acid? Uh, Via Laz became a U.S. citizen in 2013. So what happened was Via Laz had parked his car outside a restaurant, was walking towards the entrance when Blackwell approached him. Blackwell allegedly shouted at him, quote, why did you invade my country? And why don't you respect my laws? End quote. He then reached for a metal bottle containing the acid mixture. And yes, this was caught on security camera footage. It shows the two men arguing. And then it shows this guy Blackwell throw this liquid in his face. Uh, it doesn't sound like he was hurt too badly. The liquid, he thinks, was battery acid, burned through two layers of his clothing. And then they searched this guy's house, this Blackwell dude, and they found some, like, uh, like drain cleaners and other stuff, and I guess that's how he did it. So if he's convicted on the three counts, he could face up to 35 years in jail. So, yeah, even though I, lo I love the fake hate crimes, there are still real ones out there. Let's not lose sight of that, of course. Okay, uh, what else do I... Oh, God, you guys, I had to get this one. Do you guys remember when the big Puerto Rican hurricanes were going on and that mayor 
of San Juan was all over Trump and the media loved her. And I was trying to point out that Puerto Rico had been a cesspool of corruption forever. And that's why they're all broke because nothing and, and all their infrastructure sucks because it's riddled with corruption. They take money for payments from contractors for work that never gets done. It's the oldest scam in the book. Well, more proof that I was right and I was telling you the truth, obviously, because the FBI has arrested a Puerto Rican senator and seven others in a corruption probe amid accusations that municipal funds were used to pay people to work on his campaign. And this is Senator Abel Nazario. And you can go to the, um, I don't have the official press release in front of me. I'm going off the Daily Mail. But if you want to, if you follow the Department of Justice on Twitter, that's a really good source. They have all the official statements. But yeah, this is uh, counts of alleged theft and bribery involving programs that receive federal funds. Among the suspects is also other politicians. And those were politicians whose support was sought by Nazario when he was mayor of the southwest town of Yauco. And among the suspects is that town's former director of human resources and the mayor's special assistant. Hmm. Now, these arrests, remember, come as Puerto Rico recovers from recent political turmoil that saw the resignation of the island's previous governor. You guys remember that? I covered that. Following those massive protests over, what else? Corruption. Uh, so, what else about this? I'm just scrolling through this Daily Mail story. Uh, according to the indictment, in September 2018, between February 2015 and December 2016, Nazario falsely certified that he had paid back wages to the employees, but he had directed payroll to actually withhold future earnings of these employees to, to make up for that back pay. And this is also alleged that he com committed wire fraud as some of the forms used to certify the payments were sent via email. Puerto Rican officials have faced a number of corruption probes over the last year. He's not the only one. The Secretary of Puerto Rico's Department of Natural Resources stepped down last week, just days after announcing that her office is the target of a FBI investigation. And in September, a disaster relief administrator was arrested for allegedly taking bribes from a company that landed a $1.8 billion contract to restore electricity to Puerto Rico in the wake of that hurricane, Hurricane Maria, in 2017. That's, that's all it is, all day and night. It's such a massive scam. And I'm the only guy telling you this. The media is barely talking about it. Unreal. Uh, what else was funny? I had a few funny clips here of just random stuff. Oh, do you guys remember the, the white nationalist, Richard Spencer? Remember CNN guest Richard Spencer, Jake Tapper, had him on his network? Isn't that funny? Well, remember that provocateur, the gay guy, Milo Yiannopoulos? Well, he uploaded leaked audio of Richard Spencer reacting to the death of Heather Heyer. Remember Heather Heyer? She was the woman who got hit by the car in that Charlottesville fracas. Remember, though, it started over the monuments, and then all the white nationalists showed up, and then it got into a huge brawl, and then that guy... The white nationalist guy ran Heather Heyer down with his car. She was killed. So here is Richard Spencer reacting to the death 
of Heather Heyer, and he's talking about Charlottesville and how he's going to come back there. So let's listen to this. I'm coming back here like a Spencer all worked up. I do like how he dropped the octoroon in there. That's a good old-timey. Is that a slur? I suppose that is a slur, if you don't know. So an octoroon in racial slur parlance, and I apologize that this is offensive to some of my listeners of color, but this is what we do on this show. This is a grown-ups show. An octoroon is a slur, or at least at the very least insensitive term, for somebody who is one-eighth African-American. Not to be confused with quadroon, which is to describe someone who is one-quarter African-American. I don't know if it's exactly a slur, but it's certainly uh, insensitive in our modern day. Uh, one would probably say mixed. He is mixed. Although, but mixed doesn't help. You know, mixed is mixed. I mean, you could be like 1%. I mean... Slur aside, those two terms are very descriptive about what percentage of you are African-American. So uh, there you go. Richard Spence, what a kook. Uh, let's talk about a few celebrities. Let's talk about the rapper T.I. Okay? And he, he stepped in some shit this week. He is, of course, the U.S. rapper, actor, and TV host, T.I. Well, he was on a podcast this week. And he has prompted revulsion after he revealed he accompanies his 18-year-old daughter named Deja Harris to a gynecological exam every year so that he may see if her hymen is still intact, therefore making sure she's still a virgin. See where I'm going with this? Yeah, and, and this is a big, he's a big star. I mean, he's had seven top five albums, three of them reaching number one. He's had roles in films, including American Gangster, Entourage, and the Marvel movie Ant-Man. And he's currently appearing alongside Cardi B and Chance the Rapper in that talent competition on Netflix, Rhythm and Flow. So he went on a podcast called Ladies Like Us, and he was asked about sex education for his children. So he said, quote, not only have we had the conversation, we have yearly trips to the gynecologist to check her hymen. Yes, I go with her. I will say, as of her 18th birthday, her hymen is still intact, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, it's, what's funny is all these, all these woke podcasts, they didn't want to get shit on. I mean, this is real talk. Why would you... So the podcast... They edited this out of the podcast, which is stupid. First of all, it's already out there. Everybody knows it was on there. So what's the point of editing it out? And this is like real talk. Why wouldn't you? This is the. This is what he feels. So say what you feel. I don't know. Everybody's so sensitive. 
I mean, you'd think the podcast would get hop, ha- they'd be happy. I mean, you, thousands of people now know the name of your podcast because of these controversial remarks. And the worst thing you can do is edit it out. Uh, so, yes, uh, there were hundreds of disgusted tweets reacting to the rapper's comment, including from Planned Parenthood, who tweeted the following. I don't know who needs to hear this, but virginity is a made-up social construct, and it has absolutely nothing to do with your hymen. End quote. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I don't think... No, it's not. Virginity is not a made-up social construct. What are you talking about? Oh, God. Now, Planned Parenthood is saying... I know what they're trying to say. They're saying just because a hymen is open... It does not necessarily mean you're not a virgin, but the way they said it is so stupid. Oh, man. Old T.I. And second of all, okay, here's a name that we haven't talked about in a little bit. Who is Aaron Hernandez? You guys remember him? He is the former Patriots tight end who, of course, was convicted of a killing and then supposedly hanged himself in prison. Why is he in the news? Well, his former prison lover has claimed that the late NFL star bragged about killing four people that the authorities don't know about. So his boyfriend, Kyle Kennedy, has said that Hernandez admitted to the double homicide he was cleared of, and he bragged of another. Kennedy told Radar Online, quote, Aaron always used to tell me he had four murders. He would just always, all the time, joke around saying, I got four bodies, end quote. <laughs> uh, I guess this is their pillow talk after Hernandez finished plowing this guy. I'm assuming it was Hernandez doing the plowing. The other guy's a lot smaller, you know, white guy. So I'm just assuming that. I could be wrong. Maybe Hernandez was taking it. Who knows? Okay, and uh, let's go to, well, I got to play this one. Let oh, This was funny. So... Donald Trump Jr. went on The View, <laughs> this is, which was predictably great TV. Now, Donald Trump Jr., in my opinion, is kind of a goof, right? It would be hard not to be a goof with your dad being Donald Trump. But he's been very uh, outspoken in defense of his father, clearly loves his father. I think he's kind of a goofy guy. But hey, you know, whatever. He's American. He's the right to say whatever he wants. So of course, the view is very hostile to the Trump family. And so Donald Trump Jr. and his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, who used to be on Fox News, went on The View. And I have a few clips from here I'm going to play. This one is funny because Don Jr. actually called Joy Behar out for wearing blackface. <laughs> Remember that? That came and went in the news? So let's listen to this clip of Don Jr. The on the pair show. that can take whatever heat comes oh. towards you. I, I and promise when you, I promise you, I promise you. To her point, he also called Mexicans rapists. He, no, he, he made. He wait a second. Some coming across the border, and that's a fact. No, no, Look no. at what's going on. I can tell you that. Let her finish. Let her finish. Called Mexicans. Some Mexicans rapists. He attacked the handicapped. Mm-hmm. He bragged that's about also it. Not he, true. he. He. Listen, we heard the access. Hold on. We heard the access tape where he mm-hmm. bragged about grabbing women by their genitalia. 
she's talking about that's what Megan is talking about. She's talking about lowering the discourse to his level, oh, which is horrible for this country. Even if people are working, we don't want to have a country like that. Do you understand? We, we, that? We've all we've all they don't done like things. The vessel, no, no, no. The If we're talking about bringing the discourse down, Joy, you've worn blackface. Whoopi, no, you I said that I'm Roman sorry, Polanski. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And don't, you, if you, you said that it. Roman Polanski, it wasn't rape, rape when he raped a child. So let's, oh, let's okay. talk about So yeah, no, let's things. talk Come about on, this. So fair. you want to bring this up? The yeah. question came up. I did not about, go in blackface, please. No, she was not <laughs> in blackface. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Listen, being black, I recognize blackface. This I can say. Okay? Oh. I know what... what well, y'all see back me up on yeah. Okay, let me stop here. Okay, yeah. So, Joy Behar, she did darken her skin slightly. Uh, so, like, she, remember she was accused of wearing blackface? It was pretty funny. And remember that Whoopi Goldberg's boyfriend at the time, Ted Danced, remember he showed up at that dinner? This was years ago. This was pre-social media. When Ted Danson was speaking at some kind of... Uh, luncheon or something and, and her boyfriend at the time he showed up in blackface and did a whole speech in it you guys remember that and everybody thought that was uh, very funny God, these people uh i have another clip here this is where donald trump the audience actually applauded at something he says and uh they didn't like the audience applauding for trump so let's hear this we talk about transparency the president of the united states released the transcript of exactly what happened in that phone call yeah. the whistleblower is his opinion or her opinion right. of what transpired. I like to talk about that. You know what actually. I'm saying? Yeah, I'd like so to talk about that. That's out there to say. He's not trying to hide anything. I'd, I'd, thank God he transcribed I'd, I'd like to talk so about that. Actually, actually, let me ask you, did you, do you if regret so just reading that? Why does he you know, I, I don't why think I should have to forego my First Amendment. I didn't want to create hysteria, but if I'm reading an article, be like, oh, the name's out there. I didn't even realize that this thing's some sort of big sort of secret. You don't regret doing that. I don't regret doing it. No, I don't think I should have to forego my First Amendment rights. It's out there. I read it in an article. I've been reading it for a week. I saw it on the Drudge Report. Like, this is not some secret, but to then say, because it's Donald Trump Jr., because he's an outspoken guy, why was there no outrage when Drudge Report, okay. which is a major website, Calm probably down. the largest aggregator of media news mm -hmm. in America, he puts it out there a few days ago, and no, crickets, no, no problem with that. Because on, guys, probably like, not a lot of people it. knew that it was out there, but once you put it okay, out Okay, they're talking about the stupid whistleblower. I don't know if you guys caught that, but Joy Behar is like, this is not a MAGA rally. You know, when the people clap, that's what uh, that's what's funny. So there he goes, Don, Donald Trump Jr. on The View. That was great. I, I actually enjoyed that. The only reason I would ever watch The View is because if they're all screaming at each other like that. Okay, uh, let's move on, and let's do a little law enforcement news. There was a 13-year-old double murder suspect who was actually escaped from the cops following a court appearance in North Carolina. This was crazy. He was and has been since turned back into U.S. Marshals by his mother. This juvenile, who it doesn't look like they're naming because of underage, but uh, he is being charged with two counts of first-degree murder and robbery with a dangerous weapon. So he was in Robeson County Department of Social Services at 12.10 p.m. Tuesday this week for a hearing when he managed somehow to break free. The Department of Social Services is where the juvenile courthouse is located. So this guy just, uh, he, walked, he got up somehow and he walked out. So they, he was last seen about 35 miles away. And 
he had been housed at the Cumberland Juvenile Detention Center since October 14th. So yeah, his mom did, uh, I guess he made his way home and his mom then called the, the U.S. Marshals. So two, 13 years old and charged with two counts of first degree murder. What is that? Crazy. Uh, one of you guys sent me this story, and it kind of goes along with the massive pedophile rings that I cover all the time. And the Daily Mail is the headline, Rate of Children Being Admitted to United States Emergency Rooms for Sexual Abuse Has More Than Doubled in Just Seven Years As the Number of Human Trafficking Cases Rises. Now, I guess you could maybe say this is good news in a way. Maybe this is because, maybe maybe it's more than doubled because more children are knowing that it's wrong and what's happening is wrong, you know, whereas before they might have just kept quiet about it, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to look at the silver lining here. That's me. Silver lining BK is what they call me. So, in 2010, 5,138 children were admitted to United States emergency rooms for sexual abuse. By 2016, that number has surged to 8,818. Oh, here we go. The St. Louis University study that figured out these numbers they did suggest that the rise has been driven by better awareness of childhood sexual abuse coupled with human trafficking. Experts have called trafficking of children the fastest growing form of organized crime in the United States. And a lot of that is coming from a rise in sex trafficking of young girls in the United States. Man, horrific, just horrible. Uh, what else? I had to talk about... Wait, where is this one? Oh, let's get this guy in. <laughs> I should have had this next to the blackface uh, Joy Behar story, but I didn't. A white teacher is in trouble. This white teacher decided to wear blackface to class to dress as the rapper Common on Halloween. In California, of all places. And uh, students call for him to be fired. Yep, the former American history teacher did paint his face to imitate the rapper Common. If So what he was trying to do, if you guys watch like sports especially, you may have seen those Microsoft commercials with the rapper Common. And he's talking about the Microsoft Surface. So he conducted his class in the style of that Common Microsoft commercial, right? And I actually have the clip. So you guys can tell me how good of a job he does. And he's imitating Common in that Microsoft commercial as the students filmed it. Opportunities limitless, possibilities senseless. What will you do? Millions of people, not enough to eat. What will we do? With AI, Microsoft technology, the future is up to you. You can do it. With AI, the future will blow your mind. <laughs> That's it. Actually, you know what? That's not bad. And he's wearing a turtleneck, and he's got a shirt, and his face is painted very black. Oh, Lord. I don't, dude, really? In this day and age, how do you think this is a good idea, bro? Oh, man. All the stories I do? Jesus. What else? Let's move on. Uh, let's do some sports news, you guys. I had a couple different sports stories here. Uh, first off, let's... I'm sorry, I'm just moving one of my... Uh, tabs around because I want to do all my sports stories in one thing here. Uh, let's talk about, there was, a, there was a bit of a controversy about Tom Brady. 
So Twitter was going crazy because they thought Tom Brady actually said the N-word. And this was during, um, what, the football game like a week ago? And Tom Brady was, this is when Tom Brady was playing the Ravens. And former Raven Ed Reed was in the hall as Brady is walking out to the field. And, of course, Tom Brady and Ed Reed famously played each other many, many times. So Brady runs over to say hello to Ed Reed. And it sound, it does sound, I'm going to let you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the clip play twice. Okay, because it's only seven seconds long. So you guys tell me if you hear uh, Tom Brady drop an N-word in here. Here we go. There's one. Here we go again. I gotta bring you here. Okay. So he's saying you know you're my kryptonite, and that's when they think they dropped the uh, the soft A, the N I G G A on him. I don't know. It does sound like he says it's pretty funny. He clearly did not say it, but still, it's great. Now, what else in sports world? Well, the safety of the Browns, Jermaine Whitehead, he was cut from the team. After they lost to the Broncos last Sunday, he sent profane, threatening, and racist tweets in response to criticism of his play. His account was suspended by Twitter 15 minutes after the game, and on Monday morning, the Browns Browns announced that he had been cut. Uh, He has since apologized, but I have some of the tweets here. And, for example, he tweets to uh, one guy who's criticizing his play. He says, quote, don't get shot at, little bitch. Can you whoop my ass? Fuck football. Let me know when you need the address. Okay, that was one. Uh, He then referred to another guy as a cracker. That's the racial slur. And then a football writer named Dustin Fox said, Whitehead's effort tackling today is a joke. Well, Whitehead responded to at Dustin Fox 37 by writing, quote, Come get it in, blood bitch made ass little boy. I'm out there with a broke hand. Don't get smoked, fuck ass cracker. End quote. <laughs> He was then released by the team. He has, yeah, like I said, he has apologized, dude. I get it. You're on the Browns, dude. You're, you were supposed to be very good. NFL is probably the only sport I really follow week to week, but the Browns were a preseason favorite to go to the playoffs, maybe in the Super Bowl, and they've been horrible. And it's frustrating. You're a pro athlete. You're frustrated. Every every dickhead on Twitter is calling you out. I get it. Okay, but dude, you're also making millions of dollars. Have a little fucking self-control. You know, what are you responding to some randos on Twitter for, dude? And you just lost a multi-million dollar a year job because you had to respond to some fuckface on Twitter. Good job. Not smart. And then further in sports news, this was great. So the Washington Nationals won the World Series, right? And they of course, now, because everything's about Trump, we're invited to the White House. It's the Washington Nationals. That's their team, right? So, Kurt Suzuki, who is a catcher for the Washington Nationals, I believe he's a fourth-generation Asian-American, Japanese-American, something like that. Well, he told Trump, and he thanked Trump, and he put on a Make America Great hat again, which made the freaking blue checks on Twitter 
uh, really pissed off. So I'm going to play Trump here talking about Kurt Suzuki. Run Homer by Kurt Suzuki. Where's Kurt? Where is he? Come here. Come here. Come here. Say a couple words. Come on. Oh, here comes the hat. Here's the hat. <laughs> I love you all. I love you all. Thank you. That was it. Okay. And then Trump hugged him from behind, which was also funny. And then uh, everybody lost their shit. And I love, and I was calling out all the white liberal sports writers because they were super upset. And I'm like, I love these white progressive liberals on Twitter and in the media who they, you guys, I know I have many of you listening who are of some kind of ethnic background. Can you fucking believe all these white liberals who take, they're trying to tell you what you should think and what you believe. You believe these people? Honest to God, they all make me sick, I told you. And like I said, these are the same people who are covering up the global pedophilia rings. So honestly, they have some nerve. And then Steven Strasberg from the Nationals, the pitcher, he had to call out fake news. This guy, Strasburg, he hadn't tweeted literally for years. But when Strasburg was at the White House, they some dickhead who writes for the Washington Post put out a clip where it looks like Strasburg passed. He skipped shaking Donald Trump's hand to, to shake somebody else's hand. Obviously, he then went to shake the president's hand because, you know, it's just it's just a, the clip, you know. But it, the, the guy who tweeted out made it sound like, oh, look at Strasburg snubbing Trump. So Strasburg actually gets onto his Twitter and wrote, in response to the clip, hashtag fake news. And that was in response to that Twitter user who posted that misleading footage. So yeah, I'm so glad he did. That was great. That video was retweeted many, many thousands of times and also neglected to show the handshakes that Strasburg shared with Trump and First Lady Melania Trump only seconds later. So it's a never-ending battle, you guys, the fake news. You think I exaggerate? Okay. What else do I have? Sorry for breathing right there in the microphone. Berlin Wall. It's been 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. How about that? European leaders did gather in Berlin today to mark the... 30 years since the fall of the wall that divided East and West Berlin. And uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel urged Europe to defend democracy and freedom at that event. Okay, guys, this one, uh, I can't believe, I thought this was the same story for sure. When I see semen-tainted food, when I see that in the story, you know I'm going to talk about it. It just doesn't come in that much. And this is not to be mistaken with the previous semen-tainted food. You guys remember that was the one where the school children mixed stuff into the food and fed it to those teachers? No. This was part of that investigation into that former Louisiana sheriff's deputy. I think I covered it a week or two ago. He, the deputy, is now behind bars along with his teacher, wife, for rape and child porn charges, okay? So that is that is Dennis Perkins and his wife, Cynthia, okay? Now, Dennis had been the head of the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office SWAT team before his arrest, and Cynthia had been a teacher at a junior high school and resigned after arrest. Well, as part of this investigation now, 
They're saying as many as 50 or more children may have eaten cakes adulterated with Perkins's semen. If you can freaking believe this, dude. So he's been he's got all kinds of charges going producing production of child pornography, all kinds of stuff. But now cops are saying that some of the evidence collected from the home where they live, the Perkins, included photographs that show Dennis allegedly adultering small cakes with his own semen. And those tainted cakes are believed to have been served to as many as 50 children. Oh my God, dude. And uh, just off to the side, I have received uh, somewhat of a heads up from a secret source in Louisiana law enforcement who says, don't be surprised if a lot more comes out with this, including swinger parties that involve the sheriff himself. So, a lot more to come out. And uh, (laughs) these are like pillars of society, you guys. The head of a fucking sheriff SWAT team, a junior high school teacher. This is like the perfect couple, and look look at what they're doing. You just don't know what people are doing behind closed doors. You just don't. All right, uh, let's go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I wanted to talk about this. A Congolese journalist who had been raising awareness about the Ebola virus in the Democratic Republic of Congo has been killed in his home. The army said unidentified attackers raided this guy's home. I'm going to butcher this name. Papi Mumbere Mahamba in the northeastern province of Ituri, killing him, wounding his wife, and burning their house down. And they believe that it was because Mahamba was hosting an Ebola awareness program on a community radio station when this attack uh, took place. And they don't like that this guy is pointing out all this stuff. Remember, what is the situation with Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo? Well, they have declared an Ebola epidemic as of August 2018, and we are at more than 2,000 lives lost amidst a total of 3,000 confirmed infections. So still going on. And remember, as I've covered repeatedly, they face an uphill battle there because of local superstitions and uh, all the rest of it. All right, uh, let's do... A little weather update, you guys. There's supposed to be some crazy cold front running in here uh, next week, and they're calling it an Arctic blast that could break hundreds of records across the United States. So this is going to engulf the eastern half of the lower 48 states, and they say this will make mid-November feel like mid-January. Between Sunday, tomorrow, and Wednesday, Temperatures were going to sink to levels 15 to 30 degrees colder than normal from the plains to the east coast. The National Weather Service is predicting that about 250 cold records will be established as a result of this polar plunge. So, yeah, check it out. I I will say on a side note, currently in San Diego, it's about 85 degrees here at the beach. So, (laughs) I don't want to live anywhere else. They can raise my rent all they want. I'm not going anywhere. How about this one? In sui- there, there appears to be some sort of new suicide trend in Turkey. And a family of four was found dead in southern Turkey in what appears to be the second collective suicide in a week amid growing economic hardship. 
The state-run Anadolu News Agency reported that police discovered the bodies of a man, his wife, and two children in their home. Um, the father left a note saying that he had been jobless for the past nine months and could not go on. The deaths may have been due to suicide poisoning. Now, su I'm sorry, cyanide poisoning. The incident appears to be similar to a second incident just a few days prior in Istanbul, where four adult siblings were found dead in their homes, also due to cyanide poisoning. And in that case, a friend of the deceased said that that family, too, was suffering from severe economic hardship. Uh, so this kind of follows more than a year of economic tumult amid a slide in the lira, the local currency. Many of the companies in Turkey have struggled to repay debt while inflation and unemployment have soared. Uh, the poverty threshold in Turkey for a four-person household is about $1,162 U.S. per month. And the official unemployment rate stands at 13.9%, which means about 4.6 million jobless people in the nation of 82 million. So yeah, don't uh, don't don't poo-poo America's economic prowess because it's it's certainly not the norm, and uh, other people in other other countries are having a very hard time. Clearly, okay. Um, oh, when you guys when you guys sent me this one, so Popeyes brought back their chicken sandwich. Oh, by the way, I do have to say I finally had a Popeyes chicken sandwich when I was at the retirement. At Davis Mothin Air Force Base in the food court, there's now a Popeyes. And I saw that and I was like, dude, I've never had this famous chicken sandwich that everybody's getting in fights over. So let me get it right now. And to follow that up, I had Chick fil A chicken sandwich the next day just to see which one was the best one because that's the chicken war right now, right? So my verdict the Popeyes chicken portion was significantly bigger. I mean, it's a big piece of chicken. And I, th I think the coating and the crunch were better. However, I think, in my opinion, the overall flavor of the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich is superior. However, that's just my verdict. I bring this up because a guy was in a Popeye's chicken. They've had a couple different incidents. And uh, this dude decided to drop a few N-bombs <laughs> in a Popeye's chicken filled with African-Americans because he didn't like the way somebody was talking to him. So uh, let's hear this uh, kook. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, I want it. You're right, nigga. You're starting to shut the fuck up. Oh, 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 Okay, there he goes. And then uh, there's a second video, which as soon as he exits the Chick-fil-A, I'm sorry, the uh, Popeyes, like six black dudes follow him outside and proceed to kick the shit out of him and presumably take his chicken sandwich. So uh, he, he kind of lost out big on both of those. So that's too bad. Uh, oh, this was great. The woke vets, you guys, were super upset this week because word came out, of course, this uh, week is going to be Veterans Day. It's on Monday. Uh, that's very awesome. Well, Donald Trump 
is going to go to New York City to the Veterans Day Parade as he becomes the first president to accept invitation to that annual event. So he's going to kick off the parade in on Monday at New York City, and he will make remarks at the opening ceremony. Trump is a longtime supporter of the Veterans Parade. This is probably the part you didn't hear. And he has raised money for it often, uh, particularly in the 1990s. Uh, so... The woke vets are very upset about this, and they imagine... It's funny. I'm not even going to say the fuckhead's name. If you guys follow me on Twitter, you probably see me engaging with him. He's muted me since because he's a blue check woke vet. I'll just say that much. And he was putting out, oh, this is so great. See, Trump is politicizing this. And what he's saying is, how dare this guy make those protesters go and scream at him during a Veterans Day parade. That's what he's saying. It's Trump's fault that the degenerate losers of New York City, these nasty, dirty legs, are all going to go to the Veterans Day parade and boo because Trump's involved. And that's Trump's fault. It's not the fault of these slovenly, disgusting, pasty, soft, neck-bearded fuckboys in the resistance. It's not their fault. Trump is making them. Go protest. You understand what I'm saying? Am I swearing a lot this week, you guys? I apologize for that. I'm worked up. So, uh, yeah, that should be entertaining. So keep an eye out for the Veterans Parade on Monday. It should be funny. Okay. Uh, porn star Jessica James has died. So I want to, I'm sure all you guys have gotten in your memorial wanks already. But, uh, yes, if you're not familiar, Jessica James, spelled J-A-Y-M-E-S, was found unresponsive in her San Fernando Valley home and died at the scene. They said that James, who was born Jessica Redding, died of a massive seizure. And the report also reveals that the adult film actress suffered year for years from chronic alcohol abuse. Oh, that's too bad. Well, that's, you know, that's what do you think you're going to get with a porn star? They're all damaged in some way. That is why I reject pornography in all its forms. I'm just kidding. Jessica James, I didn't even know who that was. Uh, she's, I don't know, in my opinion, it's not the most attractive, but uh, different strokes for different folks. Quickly, running out of time, I just want to get through a few, a few uh, other ones. Uh, China has approved a seaweed-based Alzheimer's drug, and they're saying this is the first new medicine with the potential to treat the cognitive disorder in 17 years. This is very good news. Alzheimer's is such a tragedy, as I've remarked a few times. Because it's, it's slow, right? And what do you get? You get to see a loved one, somebody you love and who loved you, gradually forget your face, forget your name, forget where they are. And it's just debilitating, and, and it can go on for months, years, and it's uh, very sad. So, according to a statement from China's Drug Safety Agency, this new seaweed-based drug will be called oligomanate, and... They say it will be used for the treatment of mild to moderate Alzheimer's. So uh, it's still undergoing clinical trials, so it's now being strictly monitored and could still be withdrawn if they find any other safety issues. But they said, is, this is fascinating, the team behind the new drug said they were inspired to look into seaweed due to the relative low incidence of Alzheimer's among people who consume seaweed regularly. Clearly, that would be uh, various Asian communities. And uh, very, very interesting. You guys should go, go to CNN. They have a whole article about the mechanism of action. Everything. I'm not going to go through the whole thing just because I'm running out of time.
Um, what else? I have a few good clips of uh, some various... Uh, <laughs> wait, which ones do I have? I have a few good audio clips, and I just want to make sure I have one. Oh, here's where, uh, at a social justice warrior protest, uh, somebody called a Asian girlfriend of one of the MAGA guys a mail-order bride. So that's always nice. It's really Friend of a different ethnicity than me. Okay, so you heard it. So you hear all the shrieking, and the new thing is them all blowing whistles. Uh, in case you didn't hear, I know the audio wasn't the best. She's saying your mail order bride, mail order bride. And yes, and and the uh, the accuser who is hurling this, the SJW, was a very very unpleasant and portly uh, white female. So you have that. Uh, what else was some good clips? Well, Dan Crenshaw, former Navy SEAL. And a congressman, famously, he was kind of asked about his thoughts on the BDS movement and boycotting Israel. And, of course, it looks like I accidentally closed that tab, so I'm just going to skip. I'm sorry. Hey, guys, this is a live show. I'm sorry. I don't have that clip, but the clip I do have is one of Pete Boot Edge Edge's supporter. He's trying to whip the crowd up, and he wants them to uh, follow his lead. I'm just going to let the clip speak for itself. So let's listen to one of Pete Boot Edge Edge's supporters try to rally the crowd here. Here we go. Uh, it goes to the song High Hopes by Panic at the Disco, which is the kind of the walk-on song for Pete. The way that the dance goes is very, very simple. It's a dance. You do kind of like a push down to the right and then down to the left and then up to the right and up to the left. Super simple dance. And then you do the same thing, but you do roll, roll. to the right, roll to the left, roll up to the right, and roll up to the left. And then you do two claps. And then you go back and forth just up in the air, right? So it looks like this to the music. And I encourage you all to do it along with me so that I don't feel silly. Too late, bro. Here we go. Here's the Pete Buttigieg dance. Here we go. God. Okay, and and they're dancing. God, and he too. What is it? This, this guy. He's got. He's he's not. Uh, he's skinny. He's the other kind of SJW. Instead of being portly and neck bearded and flabby, he's very skinny and emaciated. <laughs> so they'll do anything. And further, the Democratic National Committee made a fight song. You guys, I'm going to play part of the fight song. They probably spent millions of dollars making this. This is going to be the uh, Democratic National Committee fight song. Let's hear a little bit of it. Here we go. Let's see. Pull it up, honey. This is for Hillary. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big
my God. Okay, and the worst thing, which I didn't even know, there was a bunch of celebrities in there, like Rob Reiner is in it, and Elizabeth, a bunch of other kooks. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's just uh, let's just leave it there. I don't know, guys. I'm not I'm not feeling it, but that's just me. Okay. What else? A restaurant, uh, I'm sorry, the white restaurant manager was sentenced to 10 years in prison for enslaving and beating a black man. Yes, this happened in Southern South Carolina. This black worker who has some sort of intellectual disability was forced to work more than 100 hours a week without pay and was frequently beaten with a belt. So... This was at the the J and J cafeteria in Conway, South Carolina. Uh, this guy who was arrested, Bobby Paul Edwards. It's amazing how I have to search for names, you guys. No, you would think that was in the first paragraph, right? It's not. Bobby Paul Edwards, the man arrested and sentenced, would uh, frequently dip metal tongs into hot grease and burn the victim's neck for failing to deliver fried chicken to the buffet. Uh, in a manner he thought was too slow. He would further yell at the victim and use racial slurs to belittle and demean him. His ordeal finally ended in 2014 when the mother-in-law of a waitress notified authorities of the abuse. So, So this happened, this ended in 2014, and just now he's been sentenced to prison. How stupid is our justice system? Very stupid is the answer. All right, uh, guys, let's turn to a subject near and dear to my heart that I love very much, the sex robots. Yes, a Swiss brothel has decided to shit-can its sex workers, its human sex workers. It is swapping the majority of its sex workers for female sex dolls. This is the Arsenal 51 brothel located in the city of Kriens. And it has replaced most of its hookers, prostitutes, sex workers, whatever the ver- whatever the parlance is now, with sex dolls due to popular demand and cheaper prices. Uh, they will have more than 12 sex robots to choose from. But in case you're one of these weirdos who'd actually prefer sex with a flesh and blood female, there's only a few left. So they do have that, okay? Okay, so you, it's, it's all about cost, right? Well... Here's why. The brothel is offering the doll's service at just 70 British pounds per session, whereas the services of a real-life prostitute start at 157 British pounds per session, so therefore more than double the price. And if you don't want to go all the way to the brothel, not a problem. They are also providing a service where they can bring the chosen sex doll to the buyer's home if required. And the question I always have is about the hygiene. And they helpfully point out that in terms of hygiene, the brothel insists all dolls are washed and disinfected after use. And I will ask again one more time, who is the guy that has the job of cleaning out the fucking jizz loads from the sex robots. Dude, you have fallen on some serious fucking hard times, man, if that's if that's what you're doing. I mean, but hey, I guess it's honest work, right? 
Okay, quickly, guys, a few financial news. Uh, Disney stock uh, blew it out of the water after reporting an earnings beat and revenue beat. And this is just days before the Disney Plus streaming is set to launch. So uh, analysts are now looking to see if Disney can give any color on expected subscriber numbers. So exciting there. Uh, one in four Americans defaulted on their student loans, according to a new study. Yep. People who take out student loans end up defaulting within five years. That, that is a quarter of all borrowers. That's incredible. Total college loan debt is now at a record high, $1.5 trillion. And guys, let me just tell you, as somebody who's used higher education, it's a total scam. It's very much a credentialed system. We live in a credentialed society. I get it. And that's all it is. You have to go get the credential, and that's what the bachelor's degree is. If you're smart, you would definitely either do the community college or as much as you can and then transfer, or you would join the military and use the GI Bill, which is an incredible government program that's extremely generous, and that will save you literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. So that's where I'm standing. It's an easy decision for me. And uh, second of all, they also are finding that young home buyers are vanishing in the United States. Uh, Americans are getting older and older before buying a home. God, my God you guys, the, the friggin' pop-ups that I have to deal with, you have no idea. The median age of first-time home buyers has increased to 33 years old. That is the oldest in records dating back to 1981, according to the National Association of Realtors. So, yeah. Well, yeah, when houses cost a million dollars like they do out here, that's what's going to happen. And then more borrowers are going underwater on car loans because cars, they think, they think car, because cars are getting more and more expensive. Guys, don't buy a new car. It's simple as that. Do not buy a new car. New cars will depreciate massively within the first year. Find one that's a year or two old and spend as little money as possible. I don't care how much. It's just poor financial decision. They don't hold their value at all. It's just dumb. On the homeless beat, uh, anger over Las Vegas, says the headline. Of course they put that in the headline. What is the anger? Well, Las Vegas has passed a controversial law that bans sleeping on the street and imposes punishments of a $1,000 fine and six months in prison. That is the latest in a series of measures by U.S. cities to grapple with rising vagrancy. Sleeping on the streets of the gambling hub will only be illegal in downtown Las Vegas and residential areas, not the famous casino strip, which comes under a different jurisdiction. They also do say it will not apply if the homeless shelters are full. And of course, all the fuck-faced, degenerate homeless activists were out protesting this law. Because, you know, according to them, they have a right to just pop a tent up in front of your house and deuce right on the sidewalk. Because that's it. That's the way it is. Do you believe these people? It has been backed by Las Vegas' Chamber of Commerce. Guys, the dirty little secret is they don't want to go to shelters, okay? Most of these shelters have space. They don't want to go to shelters, like I've pointed out repeatedly. You know why? Because the shelters have rules. You can't fucking, usually you can't have sex. You can't do drugs. That's the big one. And you can't do what you want to do. So they don't want to go there. And that has led to the homeless activists now pushing for shelters where that's allowed you can openly do drugs. That's the next step. It's friggin' mental patients. Then, 
Governor Greg Abbott is looking into establishing a campground for the homeless in Austin. <laughs> this sounds good on paper, but I know it will be a complete disaster. Greg Abbott's office said this week that it will begin allowing people to camp on a five-acre plot of state-owned land in southeastern Austin. The property will have portable restrooms, hand-washing stations, and an agreement from local charities to service meals there. Okay, let me scroll through here and see anything about the rules about that, because I imagine they're the same rules that say you can't come in here and do your drugs, and that's the only rule that matters. And of course, this story from the Wall Street Journal doesn't even friggin' mention it, like most stories don't. Because if we all use our heads, we know it's going to happen. There will be drug use, there will be prostitution, and all the other things that come with homeless camps. God, I still have so many tabs open, you guys. It's ridiculous. Um, From Newsweek, a Florida man accused of exposing his genitals to a Boy Scout in a church van uh, claimed he had an itch, said the cops. 58-year-old Jonathan Williams was charged with lewd and lascivious exhibition in the presence of a minor. And the woman called police, said, a guy just called one of my scouts to his car, and he had his private part out and showed it to my 13-year-old scout. Oh, God. Police reviewed security footage, and they observed that Williams had been masturbating for many minutes before calling the boy over to his van. How many minutes? Many minutes. That's what it says. And Williams initially claimed that he he was exposed because he had an itch on his genitals that he scratched and examined the area for a rash, but he later admitted to cops that he had been masturbating and said he fell off the wagon and became sexually aroused after watching the Boy Scouts. Jesus Christ. Uh, And um, where's the other one I had? Oh, here's this guy. Yeah, in Maine, Rockland, Maine. A Maine man who filmed a sex act with a dog will avoid jail time if he completes counseling. And this man is very pale and bearded and slovenly. 28-year-old Nicholas Hill pled guilty to a charge of animal cruelty. He will pay a $250 fine, but he will not serve any time for the crime if he undergoes a mental health evaluation and counseling. Police say Hill had sex with a dog multiple times and on at least one occasion recorded the act and sent the video to a woman via Facebook Messenger. Police interviewed the woman who said that Hill wanted her to get involved in a threesome with himself and the dog. The woman did refuse. Dude, what do you there's no cure for this? Why are we playing pretend? You think he's 28 years old. You think he's going to stop banging dogs now? Good Lord. There's no, this just doesn't end. A uh, quick update, you guys. Do you remember the remember that story I did about the guy who pulled the prank, the chef in Britain? And the prank he pulled pierced his colleague's anus with a broom handle? Remember, this is the guy. So Gary Treese told... Lewis Michael, who's only 21 years old, to fetch cupcake holders from the top of a refrigerator and then placed a broom underneath him. When Mitchell lost his grip on the fridge, he landed on the handle, which pierced his backside, went through the intestines, and stopped just short of his stomach. 
And then later at the hospital, he really, the extent of the injuries became really clear, just horrific injuries. And uh, this guy is not even going to go to jail. What is the matter with these people? Where This is uh, in Scotland. Yep, he's been ordered to complete 220 hours of charity. And uh, that was it. That's uh, horrific, dude. Just This guy's going to have injuries for the rest of his life because of a prank, and the guy's not even going to go to jail. And quickly, a couple more headlines just before we wrap it up, you guys. A three-year-old boy had his penis removed on accident in a botched surgery in Brazil. The pediatrician who suggested the surgery and operated on this boy, this was a botched circumcision, has been found dead after an alleged cardiac arrest following the operation. Man. The father said he went crazy with shock after removing his son's gauze and found a stump in place of his penis. The operation was supposed to take only 30 minutes, but the medical team emerged after four hours. And um, then, yep, the doctor tried to play it off like it had complications, and um, yeah, no good. Luckily, the boy has recovered, and they do say that skin-grafted will help restore the erectile tissue. Medical experts advise the boy can have a normal sex life in the future. So, God, thank God we live in this time, dude. Uh, One more. They're going to listen to me one day. An Oregon high school student, 17 years old, has been struck and killed by a freight train while taking senior pictures on the train tracks. He was in the middle of a photo shoot with a female photographer in a fenced-off area with multiple no-trespassing signs when... He was struck and killed by the train. It's very it's the Darwin Awards, you guys. I, I don't please be careful. Um, and a man decapitated his wife and slit his five-year-old daughter's throat before hanging himself, as the woman's father revealed she tried to get a protection order just hours earlier. This was in Harlem, and the NYPD said the man cut his wife's head off, killed his own daughter, and then hanged himself. Nice fucking family, isn't it? And finally, you guys, I'm running out of time. I got to skip all the other stuff I had, like the dang fever, the Georgian far-right protest about the gay film, and the guy who was arrested and charged after woman dies during sex. Uh, I've got to skip the FBI agent being held hostage by Iran. I just got too much of it. I've got to skip the former Brazilian president being released from jail. (laughs) The 95-year-old woman who died in the dog attack at the home of the animal activist. Uh, The girl, 12-year-old girl who called 911 after her mother overdosed on heroin while she was driving. And I've got to skip the McDonald's CEO getting fired for a relationship. What do I tell you guys? Booze and broads, guys. Those are the two things that will ruin your career. All right, so finally, let's wrap it up, guys. i got to go to the big finish. And this is actually the second time I've done a story about this. But headline, woman, 46, with severe allergy to penicillin, goes into anaphylactic shock after having unprotected sex with her husband who was taking the antibiotic. That's right.
from Baltimore, Maryland. She's 46. She's still banging. That's great. She broke out into blotchy red patches, began sweating profusely, and became dizzy within an hour of finishing the sexy time. She was taken to the ER where her symptoms worsened, and she started suffering diarrhea and extreme itchiness. She said when questioned, she did have an allergy to penicillin. So they're trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, they, they, she was going into septic shock. Her blood pressure plunged to life-threatening low levels. And what they thought, it was, they thought it was an infection of some kind, but subsequent tests revealed there was no infection, and she had actually been in anaphylactic shock. They then discovered that her husband had taken penicillin to treat a heart infection. So the anaphylaxis was caused by, you guessed it, seminal transfer of penicillin. And by seminal, I mean semen. So her conditions then quickly improved. Medics say that penicillin, as well as many other antibiotics, are known to concentrate in human semen and can be absorbed by the vagina. And remember, I covered a case like this, and the Daily Mail helpfully points it out. A 31-year-old Spanish woman about six months ago, remember her? She went into anaphylactic shock after performing oral sex on her partner, and in that case, she had actually swallowed her lover's semen and then began to vomit and struggle to breathe. Her boyfriend had also been taking the drug. Guys, that's all I got for you. I'm all done. That's two and a half hours straight through. I'm the only guy doing it, I keep telling you. Uh, guys, really appreciate you uh, coming on. And i got to thank all you guys. i uh, got a few new Patreon donors. And um, please go to patreon.com and look for BK Actual. And help keep the podcast going, you guys. It's up in the air whether or not I'm going to keep going. i got a lot of things going on. And I'm questioning whether I can keep this up because, let's face it, I need to get another job sometime soon. So please... Consider making a donation to help keep it going. And a shout-out to all of you guys who uh, go on there and, and help me out. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Twitter at BravoKiloActual. And check out that Instagram at BKActual. Guys, that's all I got for you. I'm going to go outside and enjoy the beautiful day. I will see you next week. Next week.